Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I am Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. It is January 28th, 2023. Sorry for the feedback, but things are a little crazy trying to handle everything all at the same time. So hopefully everybody's doing well. This is an, a, an emergency broadcast. So uh, we had some guests back out on us, and so we had to pull some some favors, and now we owe somebody a lot of money. So (laughs) (laughs) let me wait a while. (laughs) Yeah. So this is going to be episode 46 and season three of the podcast. So we want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, And this is a special podcast because we're actually live streaming at the same time and we're going to release it as our audio podcast as well. So we're just uh, experimenting with some things and checking everything out. So Um, One of the quick things I wanted to do is let everybody know that if you have a sighting of a UFO or a story you want to tell us, a paranormal story, you can definitely email us and you can email us at mi.ufopodcast at gmail.com. So what else do we got, Michelle? Well, we've got our special guest, Jim Goodall, who's going to be joining us in a little bit. And of course, our friends, Guy and Burton, who are standing by. Yep, we'll bring them on. We've got a little piece of news that I want to bring up and discuss with everybody. And this was the uh, possible UFO caught on camera flying over Iraqi city of Mosul in 2016. So we're going to take a quick look at that and kind of digest that a little bit. Also, don't forget, please, please, please share, like, and subscribe. That helps grow the channel and get more people interested and following along with everything that's going on. And lastly, we would like to say, if you would like to support the channel, you can find all of our information in supporting the channel down in the show description. There is a link tree there that will take you to our store, uh, if you want to do the whole buy us a coffee thing, all of that. So up to you, but you know, we have to do the shameless plug. So obviously we have an online store (laughs) that helps support the podcast. And, you know, this show is actually supported by people who watch and listen. So our online store, just for those of you that don't know, it is miufopodcaststore.online. So go ahead and check that out. 
So, Michelle, I think we're ready to start bringing in some of our peeps. Yeah, what do you we think? We do. We need to bring the guys on. Okay. Let's bring the guys on. So, first, without further ado, let's bring on the sexiest man in paranormal podcasting. The only man who brings the women back into the paranormal. It's Burton. And the only man who can get away, away with wearing a beanie. <laughs> Noise, noise, noise. I just take it from Jay, from Jay and Silent Bob, honestly. <laughs> hey, Burton, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us on this special event. Thank you so much for having me, as always. I'm very, very excited to, uh, to talk to you guys tonight. Again, very unexpected. Like you said earlier, this is uh, you, I think, um, uh, texted Guy and I last night uh, to see yeah. if we could pull something together either last night or tonight. So this is very impromptu, and I'm I'm very excited. So. Thank you. Yeah, Thank I you. I didn't real I I didn't know if I was just going to be doing this alone. You know, Michelle has yeah. things planned most of the time on the weekend, and you know, but it's just the way the the ball bounces, I guess. So we'll just roll with it and keep going. So and sometimes those turn out to be the best. So I'm I'm excited yeah. to be a part of this. Well, thanks for joining us, man. And I know you were excited to come on, especially with our guest that I'll introduce here in just a few moments. But we got to bring on our other co-host, the grumpiest man alive, and Disney modeled Scrooge McDuck after this man. <laughs> it's Guy Merritt. Yeah, yeah, this reminds me of my birth. This was completely, totally unplanned. Uh, to put it, that would be an understatement because... You had messaged me, and I th thought you said you had James Goodall, and I thought, oh my god, that's going to be so interesting. And I thought this was going to be you interviewing him, and you sent me a link to to Streamyard, which is the streaming. I didn't think I was supposed to be on here, so I'm taking a shower at about seven thirty nine, and I get out of the shower, and I'm like, wait a minute, this. And I got this real nice new microphone, and I've had a problem with it muting my output. So, so I wasn't, I'm, I'm ill prepared as you, this is very, a lot like high school for me, but uh, I'm here. So, well, guy, thanks for, for deciding to jump in and join us, man. We're very happy wow. that you could come on and uh, hang out with us on this uh, special I'm, occasion. I'm excited that you got Jim Goodall. We've got somebody with some real bona fides with a real resume here that. Yes. So speaking of resumes big, and big Jim Goodall. Yep. Yeah. Let's go ahead and bring on the man of the hour, Mr. Jim Goodall. Jim. Hey, hey I'm Wayne and the crew of Michelle Burton and Guy. I'm delighted to be here. Today is a real special day. Not only 37 years ago did uh, Challenger blow up on takeoff, yep. but 37 years ago today, I was under anesthesia for 11 hours going through nine and a half hours of brain surgery that I wasn't, wow. supposed, I wasn't supposed to survive it. So... January 28th, 1986 is a real important day to me. Yeah, I'll betcha. Yeah. yeah. yeah Absolutely. But I, but I, wow. I'm tickled to be here. I'm glad I can help. Uh, I'm blessed with a good memory. I've, I've been around this planet for, you know, in, in another 60 days, I'll be around for 78 years. So, uh, that's you know, awesome. I, yeah, I feel good. I, I, I love what I do, which is being retired. <laughs> <laughs> and, and driving and, that Corvette, right? Driving yeah, that Corvette. It's my, it's my daily driver. 
my right. daily drive. I have, uh, for those who don't know, I have a 2010 Grand Sport Corvette. My license plate number is SR71FT, which stands for flight test. <laughs> That's cool. And I've been, I, it'll do 185. I've been to 140 plus, but I won't do 185 with me in the car. There's too many, <laughs> there's too many things out there wandering around the roads. If you hit it at 60, you can walk away. If you hit it at 100, you might limp away. You hit it at 185, and uh, you go at splat. So. And, and yeah, the other, well, and, awesome. And, yeah, and the other thing, I just uh, I'm I'm working on my 29th book today. I got all the uh, just the photo captions on the book. It's 50,000 words, and I've been going through that to correct it. And that, and it's on submarines. It's not a, it's not on airplanes, but submarines are black. They're stealth and they're deadly, so it meets all the criteria. Uh, and and very few people have been on one, and even fewer have you know been able to photograph in one. So it's just, it's an area I decided to go down. No one else has done anything really on subs and I cover them all, so. Well, somebody who might be listening to this here and you talk about uh, being retired and things like this, it's probably yelling at their, whatever they're listening to this podcast or watching on and yelling, bullshit, he's not retired. Listen to him, 50,000 words, 29th yeah. book. What is going on here? Hey, I gotta do something to keep this working. Yes, sir. And that's, and that's what I that's what I love about my books is it it forces me to use my brain. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of stupid things. I've been married four times, so I haven't used my brain my whole life. <laughs> At least we've got we've got something in common. Joe. Oh, good. Uh, well, it's actually it's actually three and a half, but I don't count. You know, I don't count the Antichrist. I should. Uh, that was number two. So, oh, God. Yeah, but there, you know, there's there's not there's nothing that's off limits as far as what I know. If I if you if I have the if you ask a question and I have you're going to get. It. If I don't know the answer, I will tell you. And people say, awesome. what, do you, "What do you keep up there? You don't tell anybody." I said, "I don't keep anything up here because if God forbid you, you know, you keep reading in the in the in the news, sudden death, unexplained death." I but I'm a pure blood, and. Uh, if I had something up here that's really earth shattering and I go to bed tonight and I don't wake up in the morning, it dies with me. So if, if something comes my way, I will share it with somebody. It may not be you particularly, but it's going to yeah. be someone, you know, in this community. And I, you know, I talked, I talked to Michael Schratt almost every day. He's, he's like my kid. And, uh, yeah, we've had him on the show. Yeah. He's just, he's a super guy. And he's a, he's a very guy. nice guy. I've, I was Facebook friends with him for a while. And, Long story, but he's a very nice man. Yeah, yeah. No, no, what what Michael does, no one does it better at all. And he's working on book number two. I don't know if you've seen the, the uh, Dark Secrets book number yep. one, but he has, I, you know, and I pushed him to do that. And so finally he's doing it. Um, he uh, left his uh, old job. He now is working full time for Dr. Greer. And he's putting, uh, I know, in, I guess in June, he's going to be making a presentation to members of Congress in Washington, D.C. So he's Greer going, or Shrat? Shrat. Oh, wow. Well, he's going to be there with Dr. Greer, but he's, he's going to be given, he's going to be given the presentation. Oh, I that's think, interesting. Isn't Shrat, isn't he this enormously big, doesn't he have this amazingly large archive? He's this he, archive. He has, I, if, I you, if you've ever seen him in person, he has... Uh, three wing binders that you know the the ten inch thick 
ones or the yeah. eight inch thick ones. He has over 300 of them. And, and he has, he has the visking, you know, uh, envelope, you know, things you can slide your stuff into and every single event that he's covered is on these pages and he has all the supporting documents and he's, and he's gone out using his own dollars and he's had all the artwork done professionally. So he's, I mean, there are people who are obsessed with uh, UFOs, but they can't even, you know, you know, they're not even a pimple on a, you know, on a uh, Nats uh, rear end compared to what Michael does. I mean, that is, that is his focus in life. How, what, just, I'm just curious, do you know, Jim, I mean, what got, what, I don't know his, you know, his background, what got him, what piqued his, how did he get focused on UFOs? You know, don't mind me asking, you know? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, he's a nerd. He's, yeah. he's always, he was, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not real tall. He's not muscular. He's not uh, suave or whatever. He's just, he, he is a down to earth, probably the most straightforward guy in this community. Because when he gives a presentation and talks about the, whatever the events he's talking about, he doesn't inject his own opinion. He's like Sergeant Friday. Yeah. You know, this, just this a, is the fact, these are the facts, the fact, man. And this the is fact. the, and these are the supporting documents. I mean, police reports, FAA reports, photographs, drawings from the, you know, from the original observers. So he, uh, he does it all and he's been doing it on his own for all these years. And then, uh, a lot of people worked on Dr. Greer to say, Hey, you need, you need someone who really knows his stuff. I mean, Greer knows his end inside and out nobody knows the stuff like michael when it comes to talking about events he's blessed with a good memory he gives a great presentation uh and i've known michael for about 20 years 25 years and i didn't you know i didn't meet him until you know about 10 you know about 10 years ago i hadn't i hadn't lived in arizona that long and i get an email and said uh, this is michael i said yeah they said um I'm here in Oro Valley, which is a uh, northern suburb of Tucson. I said, well, come on over. And boy, he was here in about two minutes. <laughs> and we just had a fun time. And uh, he's, you know, he's now living in Southern California. He wasn't, he was in the ghetto of uh, Santa Barbara. He was living in Goleta. And so that's where, yeah, that's where all the billionaires dump their junk when they're done with it and, uh, <laughs> from uh, Santa Barbara. But he's uh, he's a straight arrow, and I I think the absolute world of Michael Shrupp. I absolutely do, and I would stand yeah. up for him for you know for anything, and you know he can if I, he can ask me for anything, and if I can do it, I'll do it. I just uh, he's one of the he's one of the real good guys. And the other thing about this community, you know, the the paranormal, the things that go bump in the night, the UFOs, Bigfoot stuff like that, all that interests me. And the thing about it, this community of wackos, and that's what we are, you know, to the general public. I feel more at home here than anywhere I've ever been. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, real quick, Jim, Me too. talking about your talking about your books. Um, now you've got a new one that you're working on that's about submarines. Yep. But how many books do you have about? the the silent service or submarines at this point and we're talking like nuclear submarines and things like that correct yeah they're nuclear submarines uh here's my back here's the here's some of my books perfect yeah 
my, uh, the one I'm most proud of is my uh, Blackbird book, my Skunk Works book. Jeff Babion, who was a uh, retired vice president general manager of the Skunk Works, he told me in his man cave, his two favorite books that no one's allowed to touch are my SR-71 book and my 75 years of the Skunk Works. Now, and, which book did you, and this is a fascinating story. I love this story. I heard this the other night on uh, Not Aliens with Jared, you know, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jared, and um, or that's Jared Murphy. Yeah. But um, you were telling a story about how one of your books, I think it was 75, no, the SR-71 book, you wanted to get it to Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Yeah, yeah, how'd that go, man? Tell us about that. Well, you know, he announced that uh, he was naming his next son. I think he has six or seven of them now from various women. And he said his favorite airplane in the Hawaii world is the A-12. And he said, I'm naming my son A-12 and with some other symbols. You know, he's trying to emulate Prince. And you know, I, just, I just thought this was incredible. So I, I got hold of a buddy of mine who's, you know, one of the senior writers at Aviation Week. I said, okay, can you... Do you know how I can get something to his personal assistant? And he says yes. And he wrote, you know, he's, he sent me the he sent me the and the correct address and the mail stop. And I sent I sent it off, and I'm tracking it. It it arrived on a I think it arrived on a, a Friday morning. And you know, I mean, uh, I'm not I'm, at the time I was I was in L.A. time. And I got a I got a call, and I I. I Canceled it because I was still asleep. I'm retired. And it was a 661 exchange, which is Palmdale or Southern California. I didn't pay much attention to it until I listened to the, the message. And it was his personal assistant. He said, Mr. Goodall, Elon Musk walked in as I was taking your book out of the priority mail envelope. And he just stopped and he said, is that mine? Is that for me? And she said, yes. And he took it. He said, this is incredible. He's going through it. And he says, you contact Mr. Goodall and you invite him for a tour of SpaceX. Wow. So, so just about that time, of course, the scandemic started. And yeah, you know, they're in L.A., L.A. County. So everybody is wearing masks. There's, you know, there's, there's no gatherings at all. So I'm still waiting to go. So the week of February 20th. I'm taking two uh, two friends of mine to sp to SpaceX in Hawthorne, Michael Schrapp, wow. and a, uh, a dear friend of mine who is a contract artist for Disney, uh, Joel Christopher Payne, and it's uh, it's going to be fun. And you know, when I told Joel, "Hey, would you like to go to SpaceX?" He says, "My gosh, that's on my that is on my list." I said, "Well, you have to get a new bucket." Because I think we're going. <laughs> so we're, you know, we're hopefully the week the week of February twentieth uh, is the week that has been they're going to get back to us really you know relatively short order, and give us a specific date. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a kick in the butt. So. Now that's that's awesome. And uh, one of the things that um, I'm going to warn people about right now: once we start talking like plain logo, you're going to start or lingo. You're going to start hearing a lot of uh, uh, numbers being thrown around like A12, SR71, B2, F117. And, you know, for aviation nerds like Jim and I, you know, we, we know what those 
those things mean. Um, so if if it gets too techy and airplane nerdy, um, look them up. Just look them up on Google and, and see some of these craft that we're talking about because it's absolutely fascinating what our military and defense contractors and stuff have been able to put together over the last, I don't know, 60, 70 years. It's really been amazing, this huge jump in technology, and it seems to be exponential. Like everything is just continuing to grow faster, smaller, but a lot more intense. And um, so I'm interested in the name A-12. And I know a little bit about that history of, of the SR-71. Um, can you kind of break that down a little bit for us? Okay. When uh, the, you know, the A-12 or Oxcart was the program's name, it came about because they they knew that they were going to need a replacement for the U-2. This is 1957-58. Uh, they realized that you know, the U-2 is going to become vulnerable eventually, and we need something that flies higher and flies faster, and that is also low observable. The Blackbird was the first generation stealth. And the A does not stand for attack. The A stands for article, and it was the 12th design for the requirement to go Mach 3 at 85,000 feet that the... Uh, uh, that you know, there, there's a the, the silver and white one. That's the M21. Then there's an A12, an SR71, and a YF12 in those that order. Lockheed built 50 manned Blackbirds. They built 15 A12s. Uh, two of them were M21s. They built three YF12s, and they crashed two. And they um, they built 32 SR71s. So for a total of 50. Of that 50 airplanes, they crashed 20. They crashed, they crashed three in the month of January 1967 in a 10-day period. And um, you know, that in today's world, the bean counters and the idiots that occupy uh, the swamp would have canceled the program uh, because of that. But like Elon says, and I think even... Uh, Einstein and all the you know, all the great inventors said, if you don't break something, if you don't do something wrong, you're not pushing the envelope. And Lockheed did. You have to also take in consideration that on the first flight of, of the A-12 Blackbird, Lou Shock was the pilot. The first unofficial flight was on the 26th of April, 1962. And they started developing it in 1958. But when it flew, it had only been, uh, what, 15 or 18 years since Jaeger went Mach 1 in a rocket-powered airplane. And here, Lockheed is building a manned 45-ton airplane with two guys in it going through the air at 3,200 feet per second between 80 and 90,000 feet. Um, and it's something you don't do. The other thing... That's amazing. Now, I'm a retired Air Force Master Sergeant. I've been digging up stuff on the Blackbird for over 50 years. I saw my first one on the ramp at Edwards Air Force Base on March 10th, 1964 at 3.15 in the afternoon. And I can visualize it like it happened yesterday or earlier today. And it's, uh, it's, it's a... I never thought I'd be where I'm at today as far as my knowledge of the Blackbird. 
But when I, I got out, of the, I got out, I, I had five years active. I got out uh, in '68. I wrote a bunch of letters to CIA, Air Force, Lockheed, Department of Defense, Secretary of the Air Force. I'm, I was willing to pay the published price for eight by ten glossies, colored glossies. I wanted some photographs of the of the Blackbird, and their official policy was not to cooperate. And because they didn't, you know, because they didn't cooperate, I started digging. The more I dug, the more I found out. The more I found out, the deeper I dug. And then Ben Rich, who was Kelly Johnson's right hand man, he told me years later. He said, "There's no one on the planet, from a historical point of view, that knows more than you." Referring to me, because guys who work in the program, you know, you don't go ask the guy in the next cubicle or you know the one down the hall or whatever. Hey, what are you doing? You're working on a real black program. You know, you keep that to yourself. You don't ask questions. You start asking questions. You raise suspicion, and they won't—they won't prosecute you. They, you know, they won't send you to jail if you ask them any questions. They'll just pull your clearance. And if you don't have your Q clearance, you're screwed. You don't have a job in this industry. So I was able to do that because I didn't really have any affiliation with directly with the program or or, or Lockheed. So I just started gathering stuff, and I have I have official Lockheed photos, black and white eight by tens that the skunk wouldn't have, and I've you know about seventy five or eighty photos on the blackbirds and and the drone program that they didn't have. So it's it's something that I've you know I, I have a passion for, a real big passion, and the uh, the uh, uh, Barry wants to know was the the SR was penciled on paper around the late fifties? Yeah, starting about fifty seven. You know, time frame, and they went through a series of, I'll say, twelve iterations from the original A12, A, uh, the original A1, and there was some, you know, some uh, divergence on some of the, uh, you know, the A's, like the A7. There was like two or three different designs, but it was, but it all led, it eventually led to what we see today, uh, you know, on the USS, uh, uh, what is that? Not the not oh come on my mind just went blank. Uh, the Lexington the one the one in uh, uh, downtown New York City. It's the second A12. You know San Diego. There's one on a pylon uh, at uh, Balboa Park. Uh, you have one at Lackland Air Force Base. You have uh, you go to Blackbird Air Park in Palmdale. They have a U2, an A12, and an SR71 among other aircraft there. So it's uh, uh, and it's it's just. It's an incredible machine, and it was it was those of you who are old enough to, to know what a slide rule is. They didn't have computers. They didn't have calculators. They had a slipstick. That's what my dad called it, and that's how they calculated everything on the airplane. And now, uh, Barry does bring up here. He says, um, you know, flew in the '60s and nothing better yet. Well, you know, we've we basically went space bound. Um, and there, there are a lot of things that are, you know, that turned out to be better, but where you have to deal with fuel economy dangers and things like that, you know, and Jim, if you want to back me up on this, but after SR 71 was kind of mothballed along with the U2, we started focusing more on, on using space as a, and satellites as doing our observations, yeah. but, um, Recently, and I believe this thing just came down, uh, Space Force has this secretive X-37B. It kind of looks something similar to 
um, a space shuttle. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a baby space shuttle. Yeah. And then the last the last one time it was up, it was uh, I think it was in orbit over eight hundred days. Yeah. No one knows. And we no don't know knows, what it does. No one knows what it does. And for all we know, there's a little mechanical arm in there with a rattle can of black paint, and they're going around the spy satellites, and it's. <laughs> and very true. Yeah, yeah. No, the uh, uh, the thing about satellites, satellites, their orbits are known and their orbits are predictable. Every morning at Area 51 at 6 a.m., they they post the satellite flyover schedule. And if it's you know, if it's too spooky, they uh, you know they won't they they may not fly until later on in the day. So they they wait until the uh, you know the threat is gone. But uh, I like I like the way this article here. The U.S. Space Force's secretive X-37B space plane. Ten surprising facts. Yeah. Number yeah. one, we don't know anything. Number <laughs> yeah. two. We still don't know anything. <laughs> and we know even less than, than uh, we did yesterday. So. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah they, no. they keep that thing under wraps big time. Yeah, and it's uh, they have two of them, from what I understand, and they operate out of uh, uh, Vandenberg. I had a tour of Vandenberg here a couple of years ago, and I had a chance to go where the shuttle, the uh, Slick Six, as they called it, and that's where they were going to fly the shuttle out of the West Coast, but it never happened. And I think uh, sp I think SpaceX has taken over that uh, complex. But it's really it's, it's really really fascinating. It's all right. So before I bring in the other co-host to drop some questions at you, and I'm sure we're going to start getting into a little bit of the Area 51 UFO. Michelle even has a story about some family members that went out that way and what happened. Um, that she wants to talk to you about. But I've got this thing here from Barry, and I've heard this myself, and I believe this to be a myth about the SR-71. But he says that he believes it expands six feet when it's fully hot, you know, so from the friction that the, that's why it leaks fuel because they, no. you know. So uh, tell us, uh, what's the truth you know, on that? I, I've, been, I've been hearing everything, you know, six inches, six feet, whatever. I sat down with Tori Larson. He was the senior metallurgist at the Skunk Works when they were building the Blackbirds. And he's responsible for uh, the structures that mount them, the one at CIA, the one at uh, the TA-12 at uh, Museum of Science and Industry in LA, and uh, <clears throat> 933 on the pylon there at, uh, in San Diego. Uh, I just lost track. When the heck was I going with that? The expansion of the SR-71. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have about a thousand things going through my head at the same time, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to, you know, think it. So I sat down with Tori, and he pulls out his metals Bible, as he called it. This gives the coefficient of expansion of all known metals, and one of the, one metal that has this uh, the smallest coefficient of expansion when heated is titanium. So he took out, you know, the airplane is, the, the SR is 107 feet long and it's 58 feet wide. When it expands, it grows in all dimensions, but the longest dimension will be length. And it, and it grows on average 1.92 inches. And over the course of, 100, uh, of 107 feet, that's, you know, you're not moving very much. The reason why the airplane uh, leaks so much 
is there's the fuel is sitting on the skin. There's no bladder. It, the bladder, the neoprene bladders that are used in today's uh, military aircraft, uh, they're made of neoprene. But the operating environment for this thing is from minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit to overall average temperature after 21 minutes at Mach 3, the average temperature throughout the airplane is 520 degrees Fahrenheit. And they, the, the neoprene would, would just cake, get cooked and crumble. So the first time, like, the first time I tried to fuel it up, you know, the fuel was just pouring out. And uh, so they, uh, and they, they need to do an, you know, an engine run. They were using J-75s originally because the J-58 wasn't ready uh, for uh, several months. So they went out to the boneyard. They got some F-84 external fuel tanks. They made some wooden uh, cradles, mounted them top of the wing, and that's what fed the engine fuel. So they, you know, they, you know, they uh, emptied out the fuel tank, and they, you know, they figured that you know we we have to do something to you know, to make this uh, uh, so it doesn't leak as much. And the precision built on the on the Blackbird is incredible. It's, like, it's almost like a flying Swiss watch. It, you know, the, the machining work is absolutely unbelievable. And they, uh, but they discovered that if they use a, it's a water soluble gray clay. And if you live anywhere where there's been glaciers, and you're digging in your garden and you hit this gray slimy stuff that is impermeable to water and everything else, that's glacial clay. That's what they use. It's a, it's immune to, you know, seventy below, below zero or a thousand degrees Fahrenheit, and and if they if they need when they go into the tank and they're going to say, uh, they're going to reseal it, they can hose it down high pressure water, and it's uh, and that's how that's that's how they seal the airplane. Now typically, during uh, peacetime operations, the airplane the SR seventy ones can hold a hundred thousand pounds of fuel. It's just um, not 13,000 U.S. gallons, and the uh, you know the airplane the airplane typically and that's 100 pounds typically training they'll put 40,000 pounds of fuel in it, start the engines they'll go down to last chance they won't even start the engines until two KC-135Qs are on station there's a primary and a backup, so they launch they go supersonic just for a, you know, a few seconds. And they go back down and then they go uh, uh, fuel up with a tanker and they they boom in about 20 percent of the fuel going through the transonic regime and then every every hour and a half they have to refuel and during that hour and a half you've you know you've gone you know 2100 2500 miles i mean when on its retirement flight and that's that's what you have to you have to think about on its retirement flight it flew from la to Washington DC in an hour and four minutes. Everybody said, wow, that's incredible. But the first half of the trip, they, had, they, they didn't know if they got a full load of fuel because the, the fuel gauges had a, a tendency to, to not function all the time. And it wasn't until they hit until they hit St. Louis, the gauges came up, they realized they had adequate fuel to make it all the way to DC. So he advanced the throttle, they went from, it went from, <clears throat> St. Louis to Cincinnati in eight minutes. Oh, I mean, that's the airplane flies at Same. two miles every three seconds, 43 miles a minute. 
and you're moving oh you're moving gosh. 40 you're moving 45 tons through the air faster than a speeding bullet more i think burton than, just exploded more powerful than a locomotive and i <laughs> and, and i've interviewed everyone who's crashed one that survived we had, there's four fatalities out of the 20 crashes so uh, wait wait 20 crashes only four fatalities there's only four fatalities uh the the uh first crash uh was uh ken collins he uh, was flying an a12 the, uh, the second the third a12 and he was flying into clouds he's out near windover utah and he was running j75s and they had the air research static pitot tube system and there was a loop in in the in the tubing going to the sensors and some water got in there, it froze. So he's in clouds and he's, you know, he's, uh, he's trying to descend and he's pulling back the, uh, the throttle, but his, his altitude and his airspeed are staying the same, but he doesn't know he's, he's going like this through the clouds. And next thing you know, he was upside down in an inverted flat spin when he punched out. And he got out okay. And it crashed about 50 miles south of uh, Wendover, uh, not that far off the off the road that goes up through Wendover. So, where's but the, where yeah, Wendover? The, but the air the Air Force announced that a F one when they when it crashed they announced an F one hundred five had crashed with a nuclear weapon and there was plutonium scattered all over the countryside. The day that you know, the when they made that announcement, it turns out there wasn't an F one hundred five in the world in the air that day. <laughs> But it was it was something to keep you know to keep the public uh, away. Yep. There. Now, Burton, you were going to ask something. No, I, I was just. Where's Wendover? Is that when, is all... Wendover? It's on you know, Interstate 80. It's right on the border of Utah and uh, Nevada. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, yeah I Wendover, was Wendover, Utah is you know they have a base it, there. The uh, the 509th uh, composite bomb wing. Uh, flying the B-29s, getting preparing to bomb Japan, uh, did a lot of testing there at uh, Wendover. And the old hangars are still there. You can see them from the freeway. It's a godforsaken wow. place. Oh, here's my babies here. Oh, what do you want? <laughs> Bring them on camera if you'd like. Yeah. I, I have a, come on. I've got them too. I have a, this is my rescue oh, truck my Shepherd. God. Her name is Scarlett. Oh, Scarlett. She's my she's my sweet doggy. What do you want? You want to go outside? You can't go outside. I love yeah. German shepherds. But German have to shepherds dog. are amazing. Yeah, I'm gonna have to make, just take her out of the room and close the door. I'll be, so I'll no be problem. Back in you're about thirty fine. seconds. Yeah, you're fine. Well, that's that'll be a good little break there for uh, those everybody. numbers. Those numbers on that airplane are insane. Like, because because for years, like I'm thinking of it in terms of like for years, I've been trying to figure out my best friend in the world in my life. My cousin Preston lives out in Flint. And and so and and even before then, when I lived in Lansing, he still lived down in like Dearborn. And so we've always been like an hour apart. And I've always tried to figure out, like, how do we make that hour shorter? And he just told me that that airplane can get you 54 mi or 45 miles in one minute. And that's how you do it right there. Yeah. Like that, and this that is technology. This is technology that was being right. created in the fifties. That's right. That's right. You know, so, so the, which makes it begs the question, what the hell have we got now? You know, you have, you have more computing capability in an iPhone one 
than the United yes. States military yeah. and the world had in the 1950s. When yep. they went to the moon. When they went to the moon. Oh, it went to the moon. I mean, they might as well brought, they might as well use an abacus yep. as far as the technology yeah. goes. I mean, my glasses have more memory, more so, capability than uh, the shuttle had. <laughs> somebody, somebody said to me, like Apollo, it would have been equivalent to like a Commodore 64, which was a cheesy computer you could buy in 1980. Uh, you know, it's it's just crazy. Yeah, no, it's and I I had uh, I was there for the conception, not the birth, the conception of Silicon Valley. I grew up in I grew up in the Mountain View, Los Altos area, the Bay Area, and in the summer of 1956, my dad was a senior metrology engineer, standards and calibration, and but he was working for a company called Leeds and Northrop, they're an instrumentation company, and the president of Fairchild Camera called my dad, and said uh, said Jim, we need your help. I said uh, Fairchild Camera is forming a new division. It's called Fairchild Semiconductor, and we're going to grow silicone crystal for the very first time in North America. Now, little companies that started in San Jose ended up moving to whether Beaverton, Oregon. I think you've probably heard their name, Intel. But we built we built eleven crystal growers in our one car garage in the summer of 1956, and my job was to solder. All the connections we'd had hand wound resistors and we didn't have zip ties back then so on wire bundles i used to have calluses on my hand here you had the wax string where you're going through and, and wrapping everything and uh, it was that's that's what i grew up with i mean it was just fun my dad was a mad scientist i mean we had a at five years old i'm using a milling machine drill press a lathe and uh in our garage making weapons, you know, to go after squirrels and stuff. So, <laughs> I, 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 uh, but, it, but it was, it was the thought, the thought of having something that you could put information in and boom, you get, you know, get information out was just a, it was just a dream in 1956. And when we got our, my, when my wife and I, my first wife, a bit whole, I had a whole bunch of them, but my first wife and I, we, we bought our first PC, IBM PC, in April, no, May of 1981. Two five and a quarter inch floppies, no memory, a 13-inch monochrome screen, a nine-pin dot matrix printer, $10,000. Yeah, they were crazy, man. I remember that. That's ridiculous. In 1981 dollars. Yeah. Which right. is way more now. And he, I, I think, yeah, and I think Bill Gates even said once he, he he didn't think anybody would need any more memory more than about six hundred megabytes. <laughs> Hell, I, I I have photos that are in the gigabyte range. This is a terabyte hard drive, right? Yeah, yeah. I have one. I have one right here. It's it's, it's almost the same size. It's <laughs> that, five yeah. ter. It's yeah. five terabytes. Yeah, I mean it. it that's. In, I mean, I went. I went from uh, working with my dad on that. I ended up working for a company called Nortronics back in uh, the late seventies. Sold magnetic technology to, to disk drive manufacturers, floppy drives. At uh, at one time, there were there were forty one disk drive manufacturers in the U.S. There were either most of them were located either in, in Southern California, 
Silicon Valley or the 128 loop in Boston. And uh, then you know, I, I, I went to Comdex 81, came back from Comdex, and I had a three and a half inch diskette with me. And I threw it on my boss's table and said, that's the future. Said, oh, no, no. I said, they just, they just transitioned from eight inch to five and a quarter inch floppies. I said, that's the future. And it took 11 years to go from five and a quarter inch floppies to never having floppy drives anymore to the diskette. And then the diskette went away in about, uh, about two and a half years when they came up with the CDs and then the DVDs. Now you can't even get a CD drive or DVD drive in your computer. You have a USB uh, port. Yep. I actually or, have an external one right here. Yeah, and I, and I, I, well, I have, I have a, uh, my older iMac that if I have to load something up, I'll, I'll throw a disc, a disc in there and I'll, and I'll, I'll email it to me or, I'll, or, or post it to me. So uh, it's, uh, uh, We've come. We've come a long. We've come a long, long way, computer-wise. Absolutely. Now, Jim. Yes, before sir. Before I, uh, I know Michelle's chomping at the bit to to tell her story about Area Fifty One, but before I I turn it over to her so she could ask you and and tell you about this story and you can you know, go ahead and tell her some of the stuff you know about Area Fifty One, which everybody finds fascinating. Barry put up in chat. I'm going to put it up here again, saying it, and I'm, I'm sure he means the SR-71, holds just about every aeronautical record speed distance. Now, so I'm, I'm guessing he means uh, the speed record um, mm -hmm. for covering a certain amount of distance. Was there not a experiment done with an SR-71 that had an atomic clock that was set in the west coast like in california and they flew at top speed and when they landed in new york i think I, my memory's really fuzzy on this when they landed in new york that atomic clock lost three seconds uh i haven't i haven't heard that uh, like there was some type of time depletion it was it was an exercise to see about if they the, could the, mess the, with the the dimension of time yeah, yeah. The, the fastest, the fastest an, a Blackbird, an A-12, has ever flown was flight test. Jim Eastham was the pilot. He was an A-12, number 128, which happened to be the one I had in Minneapolis. And they had, uh, he, they, were trying, they were trying to get past Mach 3. They were having a problem with it. And they had tried all sorts of things. Again, you're not dealing with computers to analyze the problem. You know, you're, it's, it's, it's a mechanical airplane. So they're trying this, they're trying to that. They use a lot of different, you know, they use a lot of duct tape just to try to set things up. And finally, they after they, they did a lot of modification to the, uh, the, the uh, over, you know, the dump vents, you know, the, where, where you're, uh, you dump by air over if, if you have too much. And uh, my, my mind just going, I'm, I'm going in about 10 different places right now. <laughs> and it's, frustrating and that's what i that's the problem i run into when i'm when i'm talking about my favorite subject you were talking you asked you about if somebody okay. could so jimmy gmist east ham you know said he he got up to about 2.9 2.88 and it went any faster and he's uh he had a, a duration clock on, up on his about the the, the two o'clock position from his uh, uh sun compass scope uh, 
viewing port. port. And he, and he was just, it was just hitting a brick wall and they had done all sorts of things, but they had pinned the free floating tertiary doors in the afterburner. They had pinned them in the closed position to see if that helped and nothing has happened. They had done a lot of rescheduling on the, uh, you know, the, the dump valves and, and whatever. And he said, he's going along at 2.88, 2.9. All of a sudden it was like, he got rear-ended. The airplane goes boom like this. And all of a sudden, boom, he right at Mach three. So he presses, you know, he presses the uh, the stopwatch, so to speak, and he, and the the test card said at Mach three, do it for ten minutes, then start your descent profile and come home. So he hit Mach three, and all of a sudden the whole the airplane just it was like it was being it almost like a machine gun, bam, 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 bam. The the pins on the uh, that were holding the tertiary doors in the closed position were all were all popping, were all breaking, and all of a sudden he's three point two, three point three. He hit three point three three. Held it there, you know, until he until he hit the uh, the ten minute mark, and then started his descent profile. And one of the critical items in descent, like I said earlier, the end the 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 airplane grows not just under two inches after after twenty minutes at Mach three, but the engine grows six inches, six inches in length and two and a half inches in diameter. So which is really critical is the descent profile. You have to cool the outer casing of the engine at the same rate you're cooling the inner workings. And I, and I think that's, Jack Weeks may have lost his, uh, may, may have lost his life in his airplane uh, over the Philippines in an A-12 in June of 68 for that very, you know, very reason. Uh, he, he was descending and he may have been descending too fast. He had two different old J-58s. One had adjustable inlet guide vanes and the other one had fixed inlet guide vanes and they didn't tell him. So he was operating both airplanes under the same conditions. And, and one of the engines blew up. And there's a thing called bird watch. It sent a, it sent a tweet, not a tweet, just a peep uh, to uh, attract an airplane. There was no indication of ejection seat leaving, no, no indication of the canopy being ejected, but he had a, a spike in it. Uh, exhaust gas temperature and inlet temperature. And the next thing you knew, it was, you know, the airplane was gone and they never did find it. But that was, that was the last, you know, second to the last flight out of the Philip, out of uh, Okinawa when the program came to an end. So, uh, so Mach 3.3 uh, 3 .3, uh, with Jim Eastham. And he said about a year later, they're going, they're going through a, uh, they're doing some other stuff. They, you know, they have the, the inlet problem uh, uh, fixed. Uh, there were some other you know, issues they had. But uh, Jim said he was, he was at altitude. He's about 85,000 feet, and he can't, he can't get to, he can't get above 2.7. So he drops the nose, and he got into good air. He was in, the air was too warm where he was at. It's supposed to be, I think standard day is 68 below zero or something like that. So he, he dropped the nose and we dropped, he got into good air and he redlined everything. So for about 15 seconds before he throttled back and headed back to the barn, he hit Mach 3.56, which wow. is 2,391 miles an hour. But that's only, that's, that's only for about 15 seconds. The airplane is designed, and this is 1950s technology, by the way, slide rolls. Um, 
you know, etch a sketches. That was your that was your that was your iPad. It was a etch a sketch. Uh, <laughs> well, Mich- Michelle's telling me she wants to talk after the break, so we got about eight minutes coming up for the break. Guy okay. or Burton, do you wanna? You guys wanna jump in and uh, bring up anything? I know we haven't even talked about the shuttle disaster yet. Um, that happened thirty-seven years ago. One of the yeah. Or it was the first shuttle disaster, yeah. Um, yeah. which included a teacher, one of the first teachers right. on a on a rocket. That and of, course, and of course, every school kid in the world was watching it because of because of the school teacher. Yeah. yeah, you know what was strange about that is that I was I was working in Las Vegas, was playing music, and I and, and I usually went to bed at a decent hour. And for some reason, I couldn't fall asleep. Right, and. Uh, I was laying in bed like seven thirty. Stand at the airport in right near McCurran, right, right, right across the airport. airport. Yeah, I swear to God, right. I was living at the airport in across McCurran Airport. But I was awake, you know. And uh, man, when that blew up, I woke my then wife up. I said, "Oh my God, it, it exploded!" And she was like, "What are you talking about?" She was not that freaked out. It just, I, you know, I just kind of blew my. Well, I'd lived in Houston. I, I lived right across the street. I lived it. I used to go shopping and I'd see Bob Crippen and his, he drove a red stepside Chevy pickup truck. Uh, I lived in uh, Clear Lake City. I lived right across the street from, you know, the Johnson Space Center. So yeah. I you saw there. it live? No, I didn't see it live. I saw it on TV. But, oh, you know, I knew, I knew a lot of people that worked at the Space Center from living in Houston. In fact, I got a tour. I got a tour during a shuttle mission, and there's this, you can go up above mission control in this little room. It's all glass and stuff. And I guess there was a sign that said no photography, and I didn't see it, you know. And I, I had my, I was all excited. My buddy was an engineer over there, and I had this Canon AE-1. I've got the picture. I think I might have posted it in the group. I got a bootleg picture, man. So I'm up in there in this room and, and, you know, it's so cool. You can, they've got those maps and it's got a little icon of the shuttle and I'm taking pictures like a madman. Right. And some dude runs over to me and says, Hey, what do you, what do you think you're doing? And I'm like, what I do, what I do. And he's like, did you see the sign? And I'm like, obviously not, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't take my camera. So I got some, I have the, that, that that's that's my claim to fame. I have some bootleg pictures. <laughs> there was a shuttle mission going on, you know. So yeah, it was cool too. They flew back from Edwards one time. They landed at Edwards and they were flying it to the Cape, right? And they wanted to, you know how they used to piggyback it, and yeah. and and they wanted to fly it low over this over the Johnson Space Center so the folks that worked there could see it, you know. And I, and I had this big balcony and I went out and this thing was. I mean, they flew this damn thing at like, I don't know. It couldn't have been more than about 300 foot. So everybody get a look at it. It was great. But anyway. And and all in in, in the, 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 of course, the uh, Challenger, right? That's what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That that disaster happened, what, th- you said 37 years ago today? Nin- yep. Today. 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 Yeah. Yeah. January 28th, 1986. Yeah. I was 15 yeah. years old. I was home from school that day. Just a baby. Then, then yes, th- that is that is the perfect thing to go in because, like you said, we're about four minutes into the break. But like, we're that is the perfect thing to go in because I w- I was you were fifteen. I was I fifteen was, when that happened. I was three years away from being born. So. I was, 
I was hey, born in I was in recovery at Mayo Clinic after being under <laughs> anesthesia for eleven hours. Oh no! And I God. and I felt like you know, ten pounds of poop in a five you know pound uh, bag. Right, you said you had brains. Yeah, in there. yeah and I had. Uh, you know, they opened me up in the back here. Uh, oh my goodness! What, would you have a tumor? Would you have? A tumor? I, I, had, I had a one and a half inch diameter tumor on my uh, auditory nerve, pushing up against the stem of my brain. I wasn't supposed to make it through surgery. Yeah, that's wild. But oh I, as, God. As I'm, as I'm, oh, uh, I know when they, you know, I can't, you know, it's really weird when you're 40 years old to come to terms with dying. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I, uh, I and I found out because I was given a, a Christmas present to my family, I was getting to get a hearing aid because I was, I was always saying, what? I'm hard of hearing. Hi, Dorothy. So uh, December, I think it was December 12th, 85, I go in for a hearing test. The doctor says, your right ear, you had noise problems associated with being around airplanes. Uh, the left ear, you either have a viral infection or you're in your ear, or you have a tumor on your auditory nerve. Oh, okay. So I went in for a CT scan and I asked the doctor, I said, when I, you know, if it's a tumor, what are you going to do? I said, well, it's, uh, they're historically benign, but if the surgery is at five hours, you have about a 50-50 chance of survival. And for every hour after that, it drops. I mean, literally, he goes like this. So, you, so your chances of survival after eight or 10 hours is pretty much less than, less than zero. Pretty grim. So I'm and we're 40, talking I'm, 1986 here. So, yeah. you know, technology, yeah. even medically, was not where, nowhere near what yeah. it is today. Right, right. So nowhere near. Uh, I, uh, you know, I said, okay, where, you know, where do I have it done? And he said, well, you can go to uh, Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis, great hospital, uh, Fairview uh, Riverside, which is associated with the University of Minnesota, or Mayo Clinic. I said, where would you recommend? He said, I can't. I said, I'm going to rephrase the question. If it was your daughter, where would you send her? He said, Mayo. I said, send me to Mayo. And I had uh, the, the company I worked on with had dissolved over the weekend. <laughs> Um, and, uh, cause I went in my CT scan on, on the 30th of December and then 13th of January, I'm in Minnesota, it's below zero. And I go over, to, you know, you know, go out to the Western suburbs and, uh, a lot of the guys are outside. It's cold. I mean, it's Minnesota, it's winter. And he said, why you guys, why aren't you inside? He said, have you been inside? I said, no. So he went in the building. We had 52 employees, about 100,000 square feet total warehouse and, and production. The building was empty. You know, everything, you know, personal stuff was in a box in the middle of the floor. So I, I walked down to one of the companies we dealt with and I said, can I use your phone? I called the wife. I said, uh, Shell, I said, Ventex out of business. I said, well, that's good. I got a call from her accountant. Uh, we may owe the feds about five grand. I said, okay, I got a nine o'clock doctor's appointment. I'll see you when I get home. So that's when I went in and talked to Dr. Uh, Stephen Satz. And that's when he said that, uh, he showed me that I had a, a brain tumor. He, he puts the image up on the, up uh, on the screen. So it was benign then. Yeah, but it was in the middle. And literally, if you go in right here and right here where those two points converge is the center of an inch and a half diameter tumor, literally in the middle of my skull. Right. So what they did, they, they said, I had a real hard head to the doctors. They, you know, they drilled a two and a half inch hole back here, lifted my brain up and then went in for nine and a half hours. You know? Oh man. All right. 
Look, everybody. On that note, on that note, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit about how tough he is when we talk about some uh, Area 51 and trouble he got in, some trouble Michelle's family members got in here in a little bit. But we're going to take our five-minute break, and I just want to say hello to everybody who's showing up in chat. So we got Dorothy Hawkins, uh, Arrows Andy, we got um, Ghost Dragon ZW. Sorry to hear about the house fire, man. That's horrible. Yeah, sorry about that. uh, he talked so, about that. Didn't he talk about that? Uh, one of the previous ones? Yep. Yeah. 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 We got Atlantis is found. Obviously we have Barry who's, who's always here. He's a diehard uh, follower. So thank you guys very much for this emergency session of a live show. And with an awesome guest, as was stated earlier, um, Mr. Jim's, Jim got, Jim's got too many good stories. You're gonna have to have him on a couple of times, man. I know. We're we're it's just getting his life story. Is this? Yeah, I mean, you know, someone someone asked me once. He said, uh, "How long can you talk on the Blackbird?" I said, "Minimum 45 minutes." I said, "What's the maximum?" I said, "When my voice gives out, usually after about 10 hours." <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. So on that note, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be back in five minutes. Stretch them, smoke them. Get something to eat, get something to drink. And I'm gonna try to back. I'm gonna try to set up my new microphone that she got me for my birthday. I tried Perfect. it while we, I tried it while we were doing this and I messed it all up. So all right, man. All right, all right. Go, thank I'm you, go, everybody. Yep, I'll be ba- I'm gonna go get something to drink. I'll be right back. Yeah, sounds go. good. All right, bud. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There is four minutes left to this break.
three minutes left everybody just three minutes Two minutes left, everybody. Get ready. Two minutes. One more minute and we are back. One more minute. All right, everybody, we're back. All right, everybody, how's everybody doing out there for part two of the show as we go into our second hour? Diane Boss, thank you for showing up, and uh, great to see you here again. Um, I know we didn't give you a shout-out earlier, but now I will. So thank you for joining us, Diane. Dorothy's here. Straw Dog is here now. He's loving the stories. Uh, everything's looking good. Hopefully everything's sounding good. So I'm going to bring Jim on here real quick while Michelle's finishing up a few things and coming back on. All right. So we got Jim back. Now, now, now Jim. Atlantis found, is found has a question. <coughs> she, she, oh, really? it, she, she hasn't written it down, but she said she had a question. Okay. So what right. is it? Oh, well, yeah. 
throw up that question here. I'll post it up here. But Jim, it's really funny um, that when I had you on the show back last June and we were just doing an audio podcast, Mm -hmm. you want to talk about crazy synchronicities and things that happen. And when I had you (laughs) come on, Michelle had uh, something to do with her daughter, one of her band things or whatever. And they were basically going across the state to do competition. So one of the first people I asked to come on and uh, be a co-host with me to talk to you was Jared Murphy. And he's the author of not aliens. And, you know, it's not aliens worse. It's us. And his book is, is fantastic. His research is fantastic. I absolutely love the guy. Um, you know, him and I talk on the phone sometimes for hours. We get together with you and the synchronicities of you guys in Minnesota. Then the next thing I know, he's having Thanksgiving dinner over at your house. Yeah. Jim, what's yeah. going on, man? <laughs> and we're going and we're going to go to Belize. Uh, we've identified some uh, ancient uh, property owner who owns seven thousand acres, and he says, "I I have a thousand foot pyramid in the jungle on my property. It's not yes. a mountain; it's a structure, but no one's ever been there. So we don't know if these places have been pillaged by the Aztecs, or or even you know raiding or whatever." So, no, yeah, he was, I was on with uh, Lynn Hurley, on, and he was, a, and Lynn was getting ready to move to uh, Ohio when she got, he had just gotten married to Dave, and they had uh, Jared on, and Jared said, well, he's from Minneapolis, and I said, well, I was just there, I mean, literally three days before, you know, all my kids, my first wife, um, my son and my daughter and five grandsons and a lot of friends and another ex-wife live in Minneapolis, uh, the Minneapolis area. So it was just, it was fortuitous that we, you know, that we sort of, you know, came together. And I'm a firm believer things happen because they were supposed to happen. People come into your life because they were supposed to come into your life. And those, and the same people who left your life were supposed to leave your life. Um, so, and we, and we, communicate on the same frequency. So yeah. it's just, it, everything's just sort of melded together. He yeah. was just, he was just here well, a couple of weeks ago. I was on, I was with him on last well, Thursday night is, is our night. And it's been sort of up and down of, of him being able to get on it on time because he moved from Minneapolis to the Salt Lake area. And uh, yeah. so, he, so he's, uh, and he doesn't. He doesn't have his. He, you know. He said Infinity has hasn't set up his email or his his internet at the house yet. So he's had to go to a public library. But uh, Jared and I know each other. We know a lot of the same people. Uh, I was back there in December. Well, was it? Yeah, I was, I was back there in December. Right? And I left just before the the uh, the uh, all the airlines shut down. I came I came home on the twenty second of December. Back to back to Arizona, excuse me, Arizona. So no, no, Jared, Jared and I are friends, uh, uh, and we have a fun adventure coming up. Yeah, I was gonna try to go on that trip, and he had contacted me and you know sworn me to secrecy, and and uh, came on our live show a couple of weeks ago, and we were kind of talking about it. And the only thing is, is that 
speaking about things that are supposed to happen in the universe, getting things right and all that stuff. This one right here, right next to me, we got our, our uh, spring uh, trip coming up here where we go to Laughlin, uh, you know, every spring break <laughs> when school lets out. So okay. we like to go there and hang out on the river and uh, go and do all the casinos and walk the strip and all that. The, the mini strip, not Vegas. Vegas is too much for me. It overloads me and I can't, I can't deal with Vegas very well. So yeah, man, uh, just great time. So now that, um, we're kind of all getting back here, I see Burton hasn't quite returned yet. We do have hey, Diane. Good guy. Hey, I've got I've got no life. I'm always here, man. <laughs> is that your new mic? Because it is loud. Oh no, is that is it too loud, man? No, it's just, fine. Yeah, well, just a little bit. Probably you put, just it, you put it in your mouth and talk. It's really loud. <laughs> yeah, when I swallow it, right? Yeah. All right, and we see we got Burton back. So hello. I'll mess with it. I'll mess and with it. I want to give a special shout out to my adopted mother that uh i've adopted from the internet and her name is dorothy hawkins and it is i don't have the picture of my mother um but it is uncannily eerie how much dorothy hawkins looks like my mom so whether she liked it or not i have adopted her as a uh as my mother um and she donated five dollars to the podcast so yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome so via that's paypal a do- that's so. a dollar a piece yeah yeah we're really raking it in man we're really yeah. raking it in it's gonna get but, crazy yeah. but and again if, if only you could see oh there you go there we go dorothy okay. and my mom's name was dorothy oh, okay. so. i'm telling you that yeah, so that's all insane. these synchronicities you were talking about laughlin I, 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 you ever go to the Riverside? I played there for two weeks. I knew Don Laughlin. He used to fly. Oh, yeah. He used He's to still fly. there. Flies He's, his helicopters. He flew our, he flew the guy I worked for up and down the Colorado River like about six times. He's, he, he's got to be like 100 years old. Yeah. He's not, I don't think he's flying anymore. It's either his son or his grandson he loved that our, pretty yeah, much runs Riverside now. He'd come in this little lounge and sit there every night and just loved our band. So I, we were hitting on all these weird synchronicities. Like, you know what I'm saying? Thank you. What is this? You know? Hey, you know see, you- see, Burton? Look, Thank I told you. you the, the sexiest man in paranormal and UFO and heavy metal podcasting keeps bringing the women back. Look at that. Exactly. And guy, too. Yeah, so right. There you go. Yeah, I'm bringing the, I'm bringing the women back, right? Hey, guy got a lot. The Somebody's Jerry, got to do it, man. Jerry, you know, it. put up that other one that Dorothy just said uh, in response. Yes, that one. That is beautiful. That is that is the magic of podcasting, right there. Like there, there is, you go. That that's I I love that. That was a beautiful comment. Thank you, Dorothy. That was amazing. And thank you, Diana. Uh, Di- Diane. Diane. Yeah. Diane. Yeah. Right. We've got it. We've got. I'm dying to hear Michelle's big question, the big reveal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've been talking about this. Yes, my silent partner over here. And by yeah. the way, thank you. Twenty people. Hold on, Michelle. We got to give thanks to the twenty We're people 20 that pe- are currently oh. watching. We yeah. have an audience. This is like, like if we yeah. were on stage in a small bar right now. This is our audience. We have an audience. And just, like, just, know, just know, if you don't buy a coffee mug, Wayne hits me after the show. 
Uh, Look, every time you pass up on a coffee mug, guy yeah. gets hit. I'm a oh. bleeder, man. <laughs> or abducted. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't I, I don't think Jim's ready for that story. Yeah. Let's, let's skip that, you know. Well, Jim's Jim's been around and seen everything, so all right, Dor Dorothy is yelling for Michelle is having a big reveal. I, so. yeah. See, here's the thing. I am fascinated by Area 51 stories. And the first one that I ever heard was probably sometime back in the 90s. And it was the youngest of my four brothers, which I just about went down to only having one brother <laughs> because of their adventures out <laughs> a little too close to Area 51. Whoa. And what it what had happened was they were, you know, traveling out West driving along and they had stopped the car because one of the three had to take a pee. And so got back in the vehicle, realized that they were being followed by a helicopter that was pacing along with the car that they were in. So they stopped at a gas station and whether it was a Ranger military, something of that caliber, had pulled up, asked them who they were, where they were coming from, why they were there, but then told them that they had absolutely no business being in that area. Well, and basically had to get out. In, unless, unless they have, I mean, they do that all the time. They, they intimidate you, but they're full of bull because the security people within the confines of Area 51 have no jurisdiction outside the fence line period. They, they can shine lights on you. Uh, they can harass you and they can either come out, you know, on the public land side and try to intimidate you out of there. But if you know where, if you know where you're, where you're at, if you know where the boundaries are, you can just go tell them to pound sand, have a wonderful day and kiss my butt. And, uh, and, I just, and, we just call it the day that I almost went to only having one brother. Oh, so now, the, th the thing about Area 51, and I've been to the fence line at TTR and Area 51 about 80 times over the last 40 years. And I've run into, I've had a lot of fun encounters and probably the, the uh, one of them in particular, I was with John Lear. John and I, we, we lost him last wow. year. We John lost Lear, man. I yeah. He was an interesting guy. Man. He was a one of a kind. Yeah. And I've, I knew John for a little over four years. And Wow. And you, you didn't know if he was pulling your leg when he was talking to you or if he got mad at you, but he was, he was a un, unique human being. But when they announced the existence of the F-117, uh, I called up Lear and I said, uh, hey, I'm coming to Vegas the first week of January. Let's go see if we can see it. He said, sure. So first week of January of 89, uh, I'm uh, up in Vegas. I go to you know, John's house. We head up to Tonopah, and we're going up US 95. Been and, there. Yeah, about about halfway between mini, uh, between Vegas and Tonopah is Scotty's Junction. And the only reason I use Scotty's Junction, it's an interesting place. The federal government took over a legal house of prostitution for failure to pay taxes, and they ran it out of business. But that's just, you know, that's just a, a waypoint. We're about 15 miles north of scotty's junction on us 93 95 excuse me and an f-117 flies right over about 1500 feet off the ground and i almost crashed the car so we get the, we get the tonopah we grab a quick bite we hit uh 
the OS-6, we go out to 14 miles to the road. It says Tonopah Test Range. You go down 18 miles. You're in public lands. You know, I'm, I'm retired military, so I can get on most bases, but not ones that are, re that are restricted, such as Tonopah Test Range and Area 51. So we just follow the fence line. And that's where I saw my first uh, uh, F-117. But fast forward to uh, uh, 1980, no, 1996, June of 96. The F-117s are gone from Tonopah Test Range. But we also know that they've installed a third perimeter around the base and they put up, put in the most high-tech uh, fiber optics communication uh, suite in the Air Force. So it's about 11 o'clock at night. John and I out there were uh, Generation 1 night vision goggles. Where you go out there, you, you, you use a lawn chair. You get a cheap lawn chair from, you know, from uh, Walmart. Uh, you tape up your cuffs of your pants so the scorpions don't crawl up your leg. And we're sitting there, we have our feet up in the barbed wire, and there's three armored personnel carriers, one coming up from the south, one from the west, one from the east. They have their lights off. But we can see them. I have my NVGs on. So I stand up real loud and stand up and yell real loud, hey, we're good guys, we're taxpayers. And boom, we it's on us. I have three little red dots dancing on my chest. John has three little red dots dancing on his chest. And then on the public land side, vehicle was coming down. The guy who walks around uh, Lear's pickup truck, he has his hand on his nine millimeter. This guy's in desert utilities. He said, you're in a restricted area and I'm ordering you to leave. And I said, sir, I don't know who you are, but this is public lands and I don't, uh, I don't need your permission to be here. I said, you're in a restricted area. I'm ordering you to leave. So I pull out the aeronautical map that gives the longitude and latitude to the second of the restricted area. And I said, if you look at the the, if you look at that fence post over where my buddy's sitting, you know, you'll find a USGS medallion that gives the longitude and latitude to the second. It says, I'm on public lands and I don't need your permission to be here. And I can be here for 15 consecutive days without anybody's permission. And he's really getting pissed. I said, I want to see some ID. I said, well, who are you? <laughs> so I'm Captain so-and-so with ASI, Advanced Security Inc. I said, sir, you're, you're uh, a rent-a-cop and you don't have jurisdiction on this side of the fence. And you can just see all the, all the tendons and muscles. And they just, I mean, they're just, he was not very pleased with me. So I want to see some ID. And I said, I don't have to show you a squat. Well, I've been deputized by the state of Nevada, uh, no, uh, Lincoln, Esmeralda, and Lincoln, and Nye County to uphold the laws of the state, uh, state of Nevada and the federal government. I said, well, good for you. And I said, well, I tell you what, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. So he hands me his ASI badge. We still have the floodlights on us, and I still have the little red dots on me. And I said, this is not a valid form of ID. I need something issued by the state or federal government. And he's getting even more pissed. So he hands me his Nevada driver's license. I don't have these things on, so I can't see it. So I pulled out my Minnesota driver's license and handed it to him. Lear pulls out his and hands it to him. He goes over here to the fence. A guy came up he, uh, to the fence. He handed it to the guy on the south side of the fence. He went to the supervisor's uh, armored personnel carrier, gave it to him, turns the light on. And I don't know if you can use, if I can use any profanity. If, if I yeah. do, you could. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah. So Wait light, light turns, and I'm real hard of hearing because I don't hear anything on this side. Um, I hear this sound. Oh, shit, it's good all in Lear. The lights went off, the red dots went away. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the captain just turned around and walked away. He's just, uh, they knew who I am. And they have for a very long, long time. 
and it's it's fun. I mean, I I was up on the top of Freedom Ridge. Now this was in ni like '93, and it was about three o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, we had flashlights in our face. Isn't that where you can supposedly get the best view of? Area? You, could, you don't even have to get out of your car. It was like a drive-in movie. Glenn, Glenn Campbell, not the singer, but Glenn Campbell. Oh, I know, the, I know who he is. Yeah. From the Area 51 Research Center, the two of us f worked our way and found found a route to drive up to the top of Freedom Ridge, and you could you could hear you could hear him on the uh, on the radios. Oh God! Oh my Jesus! It's beach is like a friggin' uh, drive-in movie. What the hell are they do? Oh God! <laughs> and so. So literally, at one time, we, we had about 10 cars up there all facing uh, Area 51. So you can sit back there and just, if it's cold, you turn the heater on or whatever. You can't get up there now, can you? No, no. They took that away and they right, took right. Uh, white yeah. sides away. Right. And the first time I went up with white sides was uh, shortly after I saw the F-117 for the first time. And that, was, that, that day was the day I met Bob Lazar also. What do you, I got to, you know what Wayne said? Well, well hold on, guy. Guy, can you hold on to this know. question? Because hold hold that thought. Don't oh, good, don't lose good. it. Don't lose it. But Atlantis you know me, always... <laughs> All right, so we got a question coming from Atlantis. I guess he, he asked it earlier, but he says, Hi, Mr. Goodall, what are the latest low observables that you have known of for sure and the fringe that you heard of? you think could be credible. Hey, you know, the, the F-117 was developed in the, in the, uh, the 1970s. Um, you know, the that's amazing. F-22 and F-35 were developed in the eighties. If it was developed on in, in 83, that was 40 years ago. So, you know, are they, uh, what are they doing out there? They're, well, they haven't been sitting on their butt. They, I did, I did uh, decide I was going to ask Jeff Babion, the uh, vice president general manager of the Skunk Works. I did ask him directly to his face, what kind of alien tech, UFO technology is being utilized in Skunk Works programs, and he told me that he wasn't aware of any. I mean, I looked him straight in the eye, and, I, and I, he may have been telling me the truth. And I, and I, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I've. Uh, uh, I think some of the people at the Skunk Works now don't don't like me like they used to asked, <laughs> because I asked that question. So, well, that that question kind of leads us into. Um, I want to put up a news story here and kind of get your guys's feedback on it. And I didn't send this to anybody to have them read ahead of time. Let's just peruse through this really quick. Sure. And. Uh, here we go. So possible UFO caught on camera flying over Iraq city, Iraqi city of Mosul in 2016. Now this, uh, I'm, I'm just leaving all the text out. This is the UFO. Can we, can we see that? Is there a video yeah, or is it just a photograph? It's just the photograph. All right. All right. And this is coming from Corbell. And yeah. Jeremy, Gr yeah. All right, all right. I don't know. So you can see his little, his little uh, maybe yeah, moniker I mean, up there. You know, I, I, I can't. Jeremy, Jeremy Corbell again. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's the one that's been working with George Knapp lately. He's been on Joe Rogan, yeah. and, and yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yes. he's a 
the one that's been doing all this disclosure stuff and releasing all this stuff. So it's 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 a guy that that he isn't he the one that did the the Kate like uh had a big part in the Tic Tac being released. Yeah, yes, that's the okay. guy. You got he's the a, guy. You got. He's a, no. a self promoter. That's the only yeah. thing he's in. It's the only thing he's interested in. Well, and that's kind of how I feel, man. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I've I've known George Knapp for as long as I've known John Lear. And, jo- and George Knapp is a good. I, yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. Like okay. George. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. yeah. I, like, I like George a lot too. But I feel yeah, exactly, it seems like exactly. Corbell's self it is self promotion, man. Oh, that's my yeah. feeling. Yeah. And that's everybody's feeling. It's not just you. I don't know anybody that's been doing this for any length of time that uh, says anything different. Well, look at me. He's, he's Send yeah. me money. Yeah. I, I mean, well, here's here's the thing. Here's my feelings on it. Is that, and I could be wrong. And you know, you know, Jim, you know, uh, Rich over at Goofon and stuff. And you yeah. know, he's a good friend of ours. And you know, his podcast and a lot of the people you're seeing in chat. Our Goofonians, you know, they come over here. We're we're growing a, a little family here. And you know, Richie's a good guy, but he's he, he can't stand fakers and really just either. loves to rip them apart. And sometimes he's it a, goes he's on the person. He's an Italian yeah. from New York. He's got a short fuse, man. Yeah. And and, 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 and he'll and rip I'm, people I'm, apart. And I'm half Sicilian, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But he'll rip people apart and go in doing the the personal attacks. You know, yeah, I yeah. won't personally do that, but he he's passionate, right? He's yeah. not angry. He's passionate. Guy said this about him the other day on his chat, and absolutely because something like you're seeing on the screen right now, and for those of you listening, it's it's this picture of possibly a silver ball of some type, and I'm looking at the. Uh, this is supposed to be from a spy plane. And as I'm looking at the um, computer readout, this stuff looks fake that they put around here where it's showing some type of a, uh, electronic compass down at the bottom. It's saying that the aircraft is at 26,683 feet. Um, and I'm reading this armed, armed, things are armed, but this could have been anything zipping around the air. Yeah. Or on the ground. And exactly. it seems like to me, and Jim, you know, you know, George Knapp and Jeremy, if you want to come on here, I have nothing against you. Come on, talk, plead your cases, talk about this. Um, but has he, has he got radar data? Has he got, yeah, what else has he got? We, you, know? you need more th- pictures, don't do it anymore because they're so faked. And just like is, videos are so same, same with a you know, little pixel up there moving around now. But yeah, is it? I mean, it it could be a bug. Yeah, yeah, it could be a a, yeah. a condensation drop. If this aircraft is twenty six thousand feet up in the air, we don't know the air conditions or anything. But you knowing George Knapp, Jim, um, I get the feeling from Corbell that he just likes to ride on his coattails, you know, yeah. and he follows him like a little puppy dog, and uses material from George to kind of promote himself and his stuff. And I, you know, and again, Jeremy, I have nothing against you, but that's kind of my feelings on it. And uh, if you know a little bit about George Knapp, what do you have to say? Yeah. George is a pretty straight shooter. I've, I've been on the air with them. What? 11, 12 different times over the last, you know, 40 years. 
I sure. think the I think the world of him. I mean, he's you know, he he's the one who got Jeremy into uh, uh, Bob. I don't I don't I haven't talked to Bob uh, about uh, his the movie, but I don't think he's happy with it because, like I say, it was it was a self promotion for for Jeremy. Um, but I'm I plan I plan on uh, visiting uh, Bob you know this summer. Uh, I was trying to do it last year, and I was I was it was in it was in early April. I was in Las Vegas, and I was just going to head up north. And my car is not a car you drive in the snow. I have a Grand Sport Corvette, and it's you know if I want to kill myself, I'll go drive in the snow. But I'm not going to. Uh, so I postponed. I was going to go up, and I postponed it. But I'm going to go up later on this you know this year. Uh, I I know I don't know. Uh, George George is, is as street shooter as they come. He's done a lot. If it wasn't for, uh, he's he's the one responsible for Bob coming out, and it uh, and basically it was yes. because of his because of uh, George's friendship with John Lear, and that's how I met Bob. Now the uh, the day that uh, the F one seventeen flew over uh, us on our, just north of Scotty's Junction, you know Lear, you know, Lear and I are. Um, you know, we're, we're heading up to Tonopah. This thing goes over us, and, and I took, like I said earlier, I almost crashed the car. So we're this line before digital cameras, and I, I'm shooting with an Nikon, and I've always shot Kodachrome, Kodachrome 64, Kodachrome 25. I was never a print film person. So I had Kodacolor 100 because I needed it processed quickly if I got a shot of this thing. And we're on the fence line, and I look to the north, there's a little black fuzzy ball about 18 miles north, maybe 20 miles north, and a little light underneath it, and a smaller whitish dot next to it with a light. I said, well, that's got to be the F-117 and a chase. So I'm there with my telephoto lens. Uh, I'm, all of a sudden, this thing is starting to, it's starting to fill up the, the viewfinder. And all of a sudden, my body started surging like I was a, I was a, 10-year-old boy seeing a naked woman for the first time. I mean, my whole body was vibrating and I didn't know if I had any, if I, if I had gotten any good shots. So I, you know, as soon as we got done, I told, I told John, let's get back to Vegas. I want to go to a, a go to a photo mart or photo mat and get the film process and see what I got. And so well, we probably won't make it by, you know, to get there in time to go to the uh, photo mat, uh, but we'll figure something out. So we head on out. We stopped a little alien. We grabbed a bite, uh, said hi to Joe and Pat Travis. That's before Joe passed away. And then we uh, headed down to Vegas. We got there a little after nine o'clock to his house. And uh, he said, I had a buddy of mine just moved here from Albuquerque. Uh, he's interviewing for a job on the desert. I think you'll like him. He's an interesting guy. So about 10 minutes later, I was knocking the door. John went to the front door, brought him into his study. And if no one, if you haven't seen John Lear's study, that was a place of, it was an it was an amazing place. Uh, you couldn't put any more things on the wall or on the <laughs> tables. I mean, it was. I saw, uh, I saw a video recently, and he was walking through there. Yeah. Was, pardon my language. There was shit everywhere. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. My wife, my wife is OCD. <laughs> I brought her over there, and, and she had the willies. <laughs> so, <laughs> And, and I didn't even learn to look at the rest of the house. Now he's now he, uh, he and Marilee got divorced after fifty years, 
Um, and wow. then, and of course, he passed away. And I'm surprised he made it past 2015. He was in that bad of shape. Now, but, Lear is the now his background. Everybody knows him from the UFO scene, and his son is kind of in that scene and everything. But isn't that also the Lear Jet guy? Yeah, his father is yeah. William Lear of Lear Jet. Yes. Uh, uh, John, John flew for Continental Air Service, which is a subsidiary of Air America. He flew for him in Cambodia, Laos, and uh, Thailand for 14 years. And he's type certified in 60, 61 aircraft say, and he helicopters. He's certified in like every airplane on a planet. Anything he, with wings, man. He, oh, yeah. uh, he has, he has uh, he, uh, even at his death, he still holds 15 FAI world records for flying around solo around the world on his 16th birthday in his dad's Lear 23, Learjet. So he was, you know, Lear, John Lear is a one of a kind He's yeah. gone, and with with him goes a lot of humor and a lot of information. I mean, he's been all over the world, yep. and and he's just he's he was a unique human being. So, well, speaking so, of unique human beings, uh, giving a shout out to the twenty two people that says are watching this right now. Oh, so good, good, awesome! Thanks for joining us, and I yeah. know it's a lot of the Goofon family and. Uh, Thanks, you guys, for showing up. And then we got another uh, PayPal uh, donation from this guy. I don't know if I trust this dude or not, but Burton Bargerstock sent us $10. I don't know who this guy is, but uh, all right. I, I don't know. I think it's the sexiest man alive in paranormal and UFO podcasting okay. and uh, keeps bringing the ladies back. You know, yeah. Diane will agree with that. Ladies, so, ladies, know. ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so to get back to my uh, Lear Lazar story, so John goes open the door. This young man comes in and introduces himself as Bob Lazar. He said, "I've been, you know, been working for at, for Sandia on weapons development, and I'm interviewing for a job out in the desert." So I told him about my dilemma having print film with with the very first shots of of an F-117 that, that were not given, were not taken by DOD or Lockheed. And he said, well, I have a C-41 processing unit at home. I live on the other side of town off of West Charleston. Let's go jump in my car and go get processed, see what he have. So we jump in the car and we're not more than a block from Lear's house. And he looks at me, he says, you know, I feel sorry for that, son, that dumb son of a bitch Lear. I said, what do you mean? He said, the crazy guy believes in UFOs. I said, my God, he's from this world famous aviation family and he's a UFO nut. I said, uh, he said, I'm a nuclear physicist. If I can't prove it mathematically or put my hands on it, it doesn't exist. Wow. And he, and, uh, now who said that? Bob, Bob Lazar. Lazar. Oh, okay. Yeah, he hadn't gone to work. He hadn't gone to yeah. work out there yet. Ah. Uh, and he was at Sandia. He hadn't gone out there yet. And he tells, he tells Jim, the first night he meets him, you know, poor John's out of his friggin' mind. He believes in UFOs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and when George Knapp was doing you know, investigating Bob's background, Bob said, I, I was written up in the Sandia newspaper. Of uh, He has a jet car. It was jet a Lamborghini Countach. Yeah. He said, and it was a, and I, and I, have, I, I have to really find the, the uh, paper. 
But it's a picture of Bob. You can't just you can't mistake him for Bob Lazar. He's standing in front of his jet car and he says, Sandia professor relaxes on weekend going 300 miles an hour and a quarter mile. And right you know, right there, he worked there. Edward Teller is the one who suggested Bob. Yeah. When they asked Edward Teller or his, his people, they said no comment. If he was a fraud, they would have said, I've never heard of the guy. I don't know where he came from. But all they said is no comment. You cannot comment or confirm or deny uh, anything that's classified. If someone asks you, you know, is the, is the SR-71 black? If it was still classified, you said no comment. And you can neither confirm nor deny. And no one, no one within the, within this, the, the uh, chain of command there of, you know, of hiring that, that George contacted, absolutely none, none of them said, oh, he's a fraud. I've never heard of the guy. They said no comment. Or well, what, and they, they found his fine. number, they found his phone number in a phone book that with his name, with his name yeah, yeah. in the in the room I mean, he said he worked out of, and the phone number he said he had, exactly. And the, and the two guys and, in the same lab with him. Right. So, and I and, and I and I heard you on a podcast. Right. Or I I heard you um on a podcast earlier where, uh, I think it was called like Into the Deep, and it was like eleven months ago or something like that. But like you said, like they had they had a a, a, a pay stub. I had his W two. W two. Yeah. Okay. I had right, his W. Right. I was in the. Yeah. I was. Uh, I had five years active duty. I was out ten years, and I joined the Minnesota Air Guard as a traditional weekender. I was the wing historian, and then I went to state staff, and then went back to the wing. But I was activated for Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I had Bob's W two with me. We we, wiped. He had uh, marked out his social security number, but that was the only thing that was altered. And I was I was there for about three weeks, and I got a, I had a slow day. There was a bunch of stuff that wasn't happening, and I said, "Well, I'm gonna see if I can find this Department of Navy that paid Bob." And I looked at the Pentagon directory. Follow the money. It wasn't it wasn't there, so I decided I I think I went to Naval Investigative Services, their headquarters there at the Pentagon, and I may be wrong with the name, but it was it was there it was Navy something and had to do with intelligence or investigation. So I walk here. I'm I'm an E6. I'm in my class A uniform. I go in, the doors open. I go in there. It was a young Lieutenant JG behind the you know, behind the desk. And I said, Sir, can you tell me where this where this Navy operation is located? And I hand him the W-2. He looks at it and says, Sergeant, excuse me for a second. He walks in, he walks into the two stars office. And he's in there for about 15, 20 seconds. He comes out and he said, The Admiral will see you now. Now, those of you who have been in the military, especially the Navy, knows that no two-star admiral is going to talk to an enlisted puke from the Air Force or the Air Guard, you know, uh, unless unless it was a matter of national security or this guy's really pissed. And I go in there. Uh, he said the admiral will see you now. So I go in there. I give him a real sharp salute. He doesn't say he didn't say at ease. Said parade rest. So I'm standing there at parade rest, and he's he has Lazar's W-2 in his hand. And he said, Sergeant, I don't know where you got this, but if I ever see your face cross the threshold of my door ever again, you'll be the most sorry son of bitches NCO in wow. the United States military. Do yep. you understand me, Sergeant? I said, yes, sir. And with that, he took it and put it in a shredder. He said, you're dismissed. And I gave him a sharp salute, did an about face and walked out. 
Now, now Bob Snake, was a fraud. If Bob was a fraud, I would have not seen that two star and he would not reacted the way he did. And see, got, this is the information. This is why I love talking to people oh, man, about this because nobody this knows. Story, about he this. Know, he's no, I mean, like they bombed around in a car together, you know, for leaving John Lear's house. I mean, this is a great guest and I feel vindicated because my instincts forever and I've fought, I've lost friends over this, His frankly, story. this bullshit. Bob's story I, has know, never changed. No, never. I've, I've said, and there are so many people involved in this whole thing that I never intended to be in, but you know how it happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't. I just listen to the guy, and I, you know, I've got a, just a measly four-year degree in psychology. This guy just does his body language, and plus, he's got, you know, there's pace. There's a, there's a trail. Okay. He, yeah. And in his, when I first, when I met him when he we processed the film he had a very ornate I mean beautiful uh, diploma I didn't read it I just sort of glanced at it I mean it was could have been from MIT it could have been from uh, you know Toys R Us I don't know but uh, he had a he had a 19 inch NEMA rack behind his desk and it was filled with processors this is you know this is in uh, you know 89 before yeah. there was. We, you know, we had, uh, you know, any really things. This, and, this is the guy who's not a scientist, right? Who's yeah, yeah. Well, and it's proven, it's proven that he did work at Caltech. Uh, and he had, to, he had to have an advanced degree to do what he did. And, and, his, and his employment was verified. But he doesn't, you know, as far as Social Security is concerned, he doesn't exist prior to 89. Uh, just real quick. Yes, Jim, sorry to interrupt, but I need to acknowledge some people. First of all, I want to acknowledge Anthony Stevens. He sent us a $5 donation saying, great show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That money all helps us. And then we got another one in from Ghost Dragon of $10. Now, listen, dude, you're going through your stuff that you're going through. Don't be sending us money. It's not necessary. But we truly appreciate you, man, and uh, and everybody watching right now. So, thank you very much. And let's. Uh, there was a question here from Ghost Dragon, and he says, "Are they still looking for that thing he took or didn't take?" You mean Jim, the, the element one fifteen. Yeah, he showed it to me. Oh, you seen it? He showed me. He says, "This is this is the stuff that powers the UFOs." And next time I went there, he said, you know, he, when he was at, when he was out in the desert, someone entered his house, took all his personal paperwork to prove who he is, his diploma, anything associated with uh, S4. Yeah. And Dorothy, uh, what is it? Dorothy says it here. Oh, this is it. Dorothy says, yeah, the issue of disappearing credentials and job histories, it's been happening for so long. Missing bodies or mysterious deaths. Yeah. It, they can, they can do that stuff, man. You can, they you can, can do yeah. it. Yeah. Push and it's, even, it's even easier today with computers. <laughs> but yeah. they can't everything. They, they missed the uh, phone book in the Sandia library. Right. That had his name and his room number and his phone number. And well, the, in the newspaper is a huge and the newspaper clipping. Yeah, the paper. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, I was never there. Well, here he is yeah. with his bio and his jet, his Honda jet car. What the hot? What the? I I've fought that a couple of people come to mind. I've lost a couple of friends over this because this guy, one dude, was just ripping Lazar. I mean, 
Bob designed this security camera system for a brothel, right? Yeah. And people just go on and on and on and on. It was a legal I mean, business. It was a legal business in Nevada. Yeah, I mean, you think the, guy, the yeah. guy was, yeah. you know, a serial killer. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, have you ever get, I don't know. I get. Well, Barry, Barry says it here, guy. He says, uh, how did Bob know to go on Wednesday night? If his yeah. wife wasn't cheating on them or cheating on him, I think is supposed to say, yeah. none of this would have happened. Then Gene Huff went with him and Lear went with him. And, you know, I yeah. mean, it's not like he didn't have witnesses, too. You know, I mean, what they're all lying. They're, you know, they're all yeah, lying. Yeah. For, yeah, for what, what, for what purpose? You know, I don't do this for fame and fortune. I've been married <laughs> too many times. You know, I have no fortune. Me too. And I, and I don't have fame. I'm infamous, but I don't have any fame. Yeah. Uh, I do this because I, because I really enjoy it. And I, and I love sh sharing what I have. Well, you've had some amazing amazing friggin' experiences, man. I mean, I mean you have been I'm, able to meet John Lear and meet Bob Lazar and just frankly, pardon my language, bullshit with them as guy to guy. And I mean, that's, yeah. that's when you find out who a person is. You know? Ben, Rich, ben Rich, the wow. uh, former president of Skunk Works and Kelly Johnson's right hand man. I don't know how I got on his list of favorite people, but Ben Rich and I spoke to each other. He either called me or I called him about once a quarter for 25 years. And he's yeah. the reason the Minnesota Air Guard got an A-12 Blackbird, because in August of 89, uh, Ben calls me up and he said, Jim, I got it from the horse's mouth. And it should have been really the horse's ass, but I got it from the horse's mouth <laughs> that uh, the Blackbirds aren't going to make this. And if anyone could scrounge one, it's you. So I said, okay, you, I, I'm going to start the bowl rolling right now. And the next day I went over to the base. I called the adjutant general for the state of New York. Secretary answers the phone and he said, yes, ma'am, this is Sergeant Goodall with the 133rd. Is General Weaver available? And she says, just, just a minute, Sergeant. I'll put him through. You know, I hear a ring, ring, and I answer the phone. This is... Uh, uh, you know, General Weaver said, sir, this is, uh, this is Jim Goodall from the, you know, Sergeant Goodall with the 133rd. How can I help you, Sarge? I said, I got a question. How would the New York Air Guard like to move the world's fastest airplane in a couple of your C-5s? It was dead silent for a few seconds. He said, you mean the Blackbird? I said, yes, sir. When you're ready, you call, we'll haul. So, to put it in perspective, when Pratt and Whitney was trying to get a Blackbird for West Palm Beach, they were going to put it on a, on a, uh, a uh, wind vane. So if hurricanes, it would always be blown into the uh, wind. They asked Air Force if they could lease a C-5 to move a Blackbird. And the Air Force came back and says, yeah, it's 960 some odd thousand dollars a day plus gas. And I had two C-5s or eight days each. And I scrounged it. And the so other thing about what about was your total cost, Jim? $27,000 was always spent to move the Blackbird. And that includes hotel room, air, you know, oh, okay. we, well, from the C, you know, C-130 to Palmdale. I brought 13, you know, 12 guys plus myself and uh, 18,000 pounds of equipment. And we took the wings off the airplane in uh, two and a half days. Uh, so, you know, we had, I had, three chief master sergeants with 40 plus years each of aircraft maintenance. I had three senior masters, 
I, we had, the rest of us were either techs or master sergeants. And I was there to, it was my project and I was there to uh, uh, cover it. But the real, the most exciting thing besides getting the, the A-12 Blackbird is we loaded into the C-5. And I don't know photos of that, Wayne. Which one? Loading the, the Blackbird into a C-5. Um. You did send me that. Keep talking. I'll put it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we didn't have, they didn't have fuel there at Palmdale on the, on the 27th of October. So we flew up to Travis. And when we loaded the C, when we loaded the C5, we only had an inch and a half of clearance on the floorboards and we had cut the wings off at wing station 112. And we had to take the outer wheels and uh, landing gear off. So we would fit into the C5. And we went up to, we went up to uh, Travis, spent the night. Next morning, we're heading to Minneapolis. And we're about 30 minutes out from Travis. And the chief master sergeant, crew chief, is going down to check the load. So I kind of said, I can't, can I go with you? I said, normally, I'd say no. But since this is your project, yes. So we both go down. Oh, i got to let my dog in just a second. Not a problem. I just, I just, was that Travis City? Who do you want? That he was no, Travis, to? Travis no, Air Force say, Base. It's in like. Uh, I got to let her out. So no, not Travis. Okay, okay, not a problem. Go ahead, Jim. Man, I'll tell you what. I, this guy, <laughs> this guy is like I'm. Dude, you know, I've talked to a lot. Oh, I, I got on a podcast. Long story. I did a podcast last night. Well, it happened suddenly. A guy said we'd be on my podcast. I went, okay. Biggest mistake in my life. Really. Yeah, it's a long story. Just oh, that people, sucks. Well, I looked at the other people he'd had, and they were total flakes. And this guy, <laughs> I, my wife just said, "Don't say that." I'm sorry, man. And the truth is the truth. This guy is the real, yeah, flipping deal, man. Yeah, so yeah. This where guy was is so the, the so, real deal. Yeah. So we, you know, we we left Travis, and about about thirty minutes later, the the you know, the uh, chief goes down to check the load. And I go down with him. I climb up the landing gear. I walk, walk along the chines, and I had used a uh, wheel chuck to hold the uh, canopy open because the counterbalance was out of nitrogen. That's for loading it. Wow, that's I, I only know what a wheel chuck is because of the song "Aces High" by Iron Maiden. But go on. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, so I climbed up and got in the in the air. And I had a five-gallon bucket because the seat was all the way down. I had a cushion on top. I go in there and I close the canopy. I'm in there for about 45 minutes, just going zoom, zoom, you know. So finally, I hear a rap on the bottom of the airplane. Now, okay, so I open the canopy. So we got to get out. So I got out, closed the canopy, put the chalk back in, and then uh, went back upstairs. And as we're uh, uh, we're coming. We were, you know, an hour later. We're start. We're starting our descent into you know, into Minneapolis. So, so you're in the air at this point. Yeah, I'm in the air. Okay. Okay. He, so, he, so the boss, the the chief comes back and said, the boss said you can you can be in the cockpit when we land. Well, I'm on the forward end. I'm going to be in the cockpit of the C5. I said, no, no, downstairs. So, I that's was. Awesome. I have. I have a. I that's Jim Eastham. He said he he hadn't been he hadn't seen that airplane in 25 years. And he's the number three guy to fly the A-12, super guy. But he, uh, uh, when was it? Oh, so after we landed, I called Ben Rich. And I said, Ben, I think I have a, 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 a uh, 
something that on the blackboard that no one else can achieve. He said, what's that? He said, I'm the only person on the planet that has been in the cockpit of a blackbird at 33,000 feet at Mach 0.72 inside another airplane. And I landed it <laughs> with me inside the airplane. He just laughed. He said, you know, I, I almost should you know, send you a Mach 3 card, or make a Mach 3 minus card. So that is uh, a word Mach 3 minus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. try, try to have so, that experience somehow. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and absolutely, and, and you couldn't do what I did today because of fraud, waste, and abuse, and uh, whatever. They would, they would, they would, you would find some bean counter who has been, you know, paying for prostitutes and young boys for the last, you know, thirty years, and he's going to object to, you know, to using resources for training, moving outsized cargo, and that's what the training uh, scenario was, you know. Uh, they would find someone who would find fault with that. But that's one of the most fun things I've done. And when we landed, you couldn't have knocked a grin off my face with a, with a two by four with nails on it. I mean, it's just uh, in the, the Super Bowl, the Stanley Club and the World Series all at the same time. Well, and here I love what Dorothy has to say here. She says, amazing, a real live person with broad experience with flying craft and their development a real aviation legend. That's Jim Goodall and a really funny storyteller. Dorothy, Absolutely. Thank you. thank you very much. I, I mean, I just, in my books, I'm a storyteller and, and, and people have called me that cause I, I do, I'm a historian and that's, I think it's why I dug in so deep into the, into the Blackbridge cause I really wanted to know what, what they did, how they got there, who did it. And I met Kelly Johnson. I met Ben Rich. Five of the former presidents and the current one, vice president, general manager of the Skunk Works, have my Blackbird book and my Skunk Works book. Yeah. And okay. Well, here uh, David posed this question, and he was asking if uh, we, you know, does the panel answer questions? We tried to. <laughs> Barry says for a dollar, but he put this up. He put this five, up here. Ghost five, Dragon no. said we should have said that he should have said five. Right. Five dollars. We each get a buck, man. Come on. <laughs> Look, the best way to get our attention to ask a question, honestly, because we don't do super chats and stuff, <laughs> and we don't have the subs and, and not concerned about that, put everything in caps, and yeah. that'll help draw it out, and, and we can ask the question. But David asked, does anyone think contact is possible through connection from Emojis. the mind through past experience and hurts? So I'm guessing vibration energy waves things like that and the net picking up the messages that's I, interesting I, I believe in telepathy uh i have a dear friend of over you know almost over 50 years uh, he, he lives in fallbrook california we worked for the phone company in 1966 and we were roommates don would get ready to say something and i would say it i get ready to, i mean something off the wall had nothing to do with what we we're talking about. I would, I'd be ready to say something again off the wall and Don would say it. Uh, this went on for years. You know, I went my diff, my separate way. He went his separate way. Along comes the internet. You know, it's now, it's now, uh, 2015 and 2014. I said, well, I'm gonna put in Donald J. Avery. Boom. It came, came up to where he lived. And I said, I know he worked for Johnson wax. That's Kenosha. Turns out on Monday of that week, his wife, uh, Maris, said, Don, have you ever 
heard from your, your your old friend Jim Goodall. I said, uh, do you have any idea where he's at? And he said, Not worse, man. Said, uh, no, I have I haven't don't have a clue. It was that same day as when I looked up his name. And then Thursday, this is a Monday. Thursday, Maris goes down and checks the mail. She came back and said, Don said, you know, we were talking about your friend Jim Goodall. He said, yeah. Here's a postcard from him. I had I had lost track of him for forty years. <laughs> Wow. And but I but something told me to look him up on that particular day. And Maris had talked about me on that particular day to Don. And I had sent uh, the postcard off in that, that same day. OK, Dorothy has a question. She says, uh, I have a question of a personal family history nature to ask Jim Goodall. Will he ever accept me as a friend on Facebook so I can message him about it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Do, yeah. Yeah, do yeah, put it in Messenger. Uh, say, you know, would you? Or just you know, go into Facebook, hit, hit a friend request. Yeah, and I know Dorothy Hawkins. You will, you will get it. You'll get an acceptance from me. And Dorothy Promise. was promoted to a moderator on our Facebook or on our uh, YouTube channel, so uh, she's she's official now. I don't even I don't even have a title, man. Yeah, no. neither do I. Yeah, you do. You're the grumpy <laughs> old curmudgeon, okay. and Burton is is bringing the ladies to the podcast. Come on, no, get off right. my lawn, guy. Get off my lawn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, Jim, man, we you got so much experience, man, trying to to cut through any of this. We've already been at two hours and almost two hours in, well, just now, two hours and two minutes. So we're going to have to get you back because we got to talk oh, about these. Absolutely. We got to talk about the triangles, UFOs, saucer, the, you know, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, who is, who is the guy flying the airplane along Mount Rainier? Damn. I always remember his name. Kenneth, and Arnold. I can't forget. Kenneth Arnold. Kenneth Arnold. You know, and, and looking at that, and um, there's so much I want to ask, too, because I'm wondering if these things are some type of a, a human consciousness type of thing that we get these glimpses of. But it seems like when we find or see these things that we are projected further ahead in technology or something just by seeing them. So for instance, Kenneth Arnold, he didn't say flying saucers. He said flying wings. And this was in 46, 47. Yep. Right. And now, you know, the media came up with flying saucer, but he said these things skipped through the air, almost like you skip a rock on the water and they were boomerang shaped. After he said that, look at the work that went on flying wings that all of a sudden started happening. And so that, I think these things kick up yeah. the consciousness level. The, fly, the flying wings, you know, Horton was, was World War War all the way into World War II. You know, the, the Horton, I don't know what the model number is. The, the Smithsonian has, uh, with funding from Northrop, have totally restored the, uh, the Horton flying wing that they have at the National Air and Space Museum. I never understood how those things without a horizontal stabilizer could stay in the air. No. Uh, well, on the B-2, I've written a book on the B-2, sort of, you know, right over here. Um, I have, uh, you know, even let me find the simulator for two and a half hours. That was incredible. 
the B the B two when it first takes off, the gear goes up, the doors stay down. That's the verticals at slow speed. If you look at the doors, the doors are thick. They're reinforced, and they can take the, they, they can take the buffeting on you know, on takeoff. So uh, I ha I have shots of you know the the gear all the way up, and the gear doors are all the way down. And um, and I look have, at uh, that thing. Imagine seeing that, and not knowing it's being built. Well, like I said, I know nothing about aviation, man. Uh, you know, but like I thought a plane, any plane had to have like, isn't it called a horizontal state, you know, stabilizer to keep it. Uh, so it doesn't not if, not if you're doing fly by wire and you have computers calculating how to open up. So look, look at this picture. Let me, let me go to this and Jim back me up on this. I'm sure. just a GA pilot. But if you look up here on the left wing at that alien on there, see how it's split. One part's going up, one part's going down. That's all controlled by computers to control yeah. how that thing rolls. Dur during peacetime, the uh, uh, the yeah, split ailerons sure. are always open at five five uh, degrees because from zero to five degrees they have no effect. So they have it they have it open. So when they when they do have to turn, you know, they, it's, the reaction is is immediate. Now when I flew the sim, when you when you you know, you're gonna you know go off to you know bank off to the uh, the starboard side. You go there and you have to come back. You have to stop stop the turn because the airplanes are gonna keep on going unless you bring you bring the stick back to the opposite direction to neutralize it. And going up to the tanker, I mean you're literally you're you're going like this, and it's a real challenge. It only took me three tries to hook up with the tanker, and the instructor and I'm not a pilot. I've flown the C-130 sim a lot at my unit, and I've flown the 777 simulator at, at uh, Boeing. Uh, but the, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the airplane is just, it, it's a real challenge to, you know, to, to fly it initially. But the instructor pilot says, you know, I, I flew heavies for six years, and it took me more times to hook up with the tanker, and you did it in two or three tries. I said, dumb luck. You know, beginner's luck because I'm not. I have a sense of uh, how things work. Um, yeah, and it just and it just tickled me. And then I and then they gave me a certificate stating that I had flown the sim. Awesome. Yeah. All right, lady and gentlemen, gentlemen's. <laughs> I think we should probably wrap this up at this point. It's going over two hours and. If uh, Charlie says good night, somebody Charlie says good night. Somebody hey. wanted to see Charlie hey. the other night. Wayne, Michelle, Guy. Uh, hey night. Jim, I really I I loved it, man. It was fast. <laughs> I, I had I had a I had a wonderful night, and and Dorothy, thank you for uh, your nice compliments. And uh, yes, I will I will uh, accept we'll your friend your friend request on Facebook. <laughs> and we'll set up another date here soon, so we can get you to come back on and and talk some more so we can really start to dig into some more of this UFO stuff. Cause guy, I got Michelle a lot of I, questions. I got a lot of yeah, questions. <laughs> we have experience with black triangles and I'm, and neither one of us buys the TR three B thing. So this is something completely different that happened here in Michigan. And, uh, our experience in 2018 guys experience in 1994 around the same date as the, the, 
Western Michigan UFO flap in March of 94 on the West side though. So everybody focuses on that West side cause there's radar data, but on the East side of the state, trying these huge black triangles were being seen and experiencing and guy can talk a little bit about that next 100, time. 125 foot above my head. In fact, yeah. Michael Sherratt has, I saw a documentary about two weeks ago and he has the, ex, he's got a thing that shows exactly what I saw, but it's like right here. And it's uh, the bottom of it looked like the video game Tetris. It was like this weird design on the, the bottom. Pattern. And I could have hit this thing with a rock. It's about yeah. probably 300 foot by 300 foot. It was just crazy. But yeah, that's I another got, story. I got two, two short things I want to say before, I, before yeah, we go. go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, like I, I said, uh, Ben Rich was, and I go back. We, we talked once a quarter for 25 years. And just before he died, I called Ben. He was at uh, USC Medical Center. He was dying of esophageal cancer from probably breathing all the nasty chemicals associated with stealth. And we were talking about our late friend, uh, John Andrews from Testers. And he said, Jim, we have things that's 50 years beyond when you can comprehend. And he wasn't referring to Area 51. And I said, if you've seen movies like Star Trek or Star Wars, We've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the effort. I said, Ben, you want to expand upon that? He said, no. <laughs> uh, but in, in 93, when he was at, he, uh, he retired in 91 from the Skunk Works. And in 93, he gave a talk at UCLA. It was the, Avion, the School of, Avi, uh, of uh, Avion, you know, Aeronautics. It was graduate students. And he was a keynote speaker. And at the end of, at the end of his, uh, his talk, he said, we have the ability today, this is 1980, 1993, so that's 30 years ago. Yep. We have the ability to take E.T. home. Think about that. Statement. I remember him <laughs> saying that. And if and he said, if you see movies like Star Wars or Star Trek, we've been there, done that or decided it wasn't worth the effort. And one other item, I was a docent up at Kitt Peak National Observatories. They have 22 optical telescopes everywhere from a, a 12 inch to a uh, to a three meter, no, correction, a four meter telescope. And uh, just before I, I quit uh, uh, being a docent, I, uh, we had a, uh, a gathering of all the astronomers, technicians, and docent had to go to, and went to the uh, headquarters at the University of Arizona. And the keynote speaker was the head guy from the National Science Foundation for Astronomy. He had just returned from a worldwide conference on exoplanets. And he said, and said, based on proven mathematics, and these were people from all over the world, and it was like a week-long session, said, using proven mathematical formulas, we calculate for every star in the universe, and there's a whole bunch of them, there's one, in, there's one and a half planets. And out of that incredible number of planets, we calculate that we estimate between somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 billion, that's with a B, 2 billion Earth-like planets orbiting a similar size brown dwarf star as our sun in the inhabitable zone with liquid water. If we're the only ones, what a waste of space, to quote Jodie Foster's character in Contact. Exactly. Contact, yep. So. Yep. All right, Burton, you, Diane says that you look like you have something that you need to get off your chest and talk before we well, get out of here. It, it, it was just kind of crazy that he said that because it, it was something that, that has, uh, uh, 
I don't know where this came from. I don't know. I don't have any foundation or basis from this, but he just backed it up. Uh, just that, like, um, just that, like, that, like the 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 whole the whole basis of like what he just said. Like, if there's all of that out there, then. Yeah. You know, and and it's yeah. all just like us. What are the chances? On some level, look. Yeah. What are the chances? And it's yeah. It was just preaching to the choir, I guess, on some level. Yeah. So absolutely, absolutely. All right, so everybody, we're getting ready to take off. Jim, any final words? Where can people find you? Get in touch with you? Anything like that? Well, I don't have a website because I, you know, I waste enough time it is on this on on my Mac. Uh, I'm on Facebook. It's Jim Goodall. Um, you recognize it's all airplanes or UFOs or, or whatever. Um, they can find your books on Amazon? Yeah, go, yeah, go on to Amazon.com, put in books by James C. Goodall, and the hardbound books will show up immediately. Now I have, uh, and the rest of them book, If some of them I have, my name is Jim Goodall, but the, uh, you know, the, real, the, the hardbound ones mostly are James C. Goodall. So you can, you can, you can both both names to search, but the ones, and if, if you're a member of, uh, if you have prime membership on Amazon, that skunk works book costs five and a half pounds. I weighs five and a half pounds. Yeah. Oh, oh, they have my Nautilus in there. It's not ready yet, but, uh, pre-order uh, it says yeah. pre-order. Yep. And, uh, it'll be released August 15th. I just, I'm just finding that out now today, but these, you know, these are, these are my, uh, my treasures. Yeah. Are are, uh, are are any of them on audiobook? Are any of your uh, books on audio? I've I've never done it, but so I don't know if anybody you know, if okay. uh, the publishers have. Uh, I think Sheffer has uh, one of my books on audio, okay. but it, you know it, it's it's not it's not really a storyteller. It's a visual. You know I you know, my my books are pictorial histories, right. with ex- and like I say. Just photo captions on my newest book on you know, Nautilus to Columbia class. It's fifty thousand words just in captions. <laughs> yeah, how would you present something like that in yeah. odd form? You know. Yeah, yeah. So, so every photo and every every page has a story, and it's all chronological, and that that's just how I do it. So, uh, you were put you were, you were put on the uh, uh, the spot, huh, Burton? I guess. Oh. Uh-oh. Well, we were all put on the spot by doing a live show tonight. So thank you, thank you. you know, is that was that Diana? Yeah, Diane. 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 Thank you, Diane. Diana. Thank you, Diane. And yeah, and and, and thanks, thanks for inviting oh, me. And I'm 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 more than happy to come back again. Like, thank right. you so much, Jim. Thank want, you so much. I want Jim. you to. I want this guy to come back every night because he knows where he speaks. No, <laughs> speculating about crap to the extent. That not to the extent that the rest of us are, you know. I mean, I, I don't. I don't even know how I got to this point in my life, other than the fact I take. I don't take no for an answer. Uh, I've always, and, and I've always been a pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. No, Jim. Jim definitely has to come back because I don't think any of us really got to. Really do, and, and, and I think you have an ex-wife named Shelly. I do too. Yes, I do too, Shelly. But, but I'm, I'm real close to Shelly. I talk to her at least. Uh, I'm not twi- but twice a month. I, I just talked one. to her. I just talked to her last night. Uh, the Antichrist. Uh, she's four foot ten, Greek, and she's, no, she was. Short. 
She was she was punishment for something evil I did in a past life. I got a four foot one that's an antichrist who's Mexican and Apache Indian. Oh, okay. oh geez, okay. <laughs> and 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 then I had the fraud who took me for over for everything I had. Uh, uh, she was beautiful. I love this. this she, guy but she was I evil. My brother. I think and and I'm and I'm I married I married to a, one of the sweetest ladies in the world. She's you know, I refer to her as my Nazi bitch. She's 100 percent German. She's uh, she was a flight attendant for Alaska. Uh, I'm we, feeling a little vulnerable here, being the yeah. only female on this panel. I met I met I met my I met my wife. I met my wife on Match.com. I'm on Gary too. Yeah. So uh, and I'm very happy with her. So. But oh, I, I've had a wonderful That's evening. Good. That's a good story. It's gone fast. It's been yeah. two hours and two hours oh, and sixteen man. on seventeen minutes. Yes, uh, I, I'm more than happy to come back again. You just let me know when. Now on on Wednesday and Thursdays, I'm Wednesday. I'm with uh, Ron Mason. Thursday, I'm with Jared. Uh, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, it was an absolute honor and and pleasure to to be able to talk to you yeah, tonight. Was, uh, seriously, right. I, I I enjoyed the whole time. So it's it's a feelings mutual. Yeah, it was a great time. So, Jim, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take you out of the shot. And uh, thank you very much. And we will be in touch soon. Obviously, me and you have a mutual friend and Jared as well. Yeah. And uh, uh, love talking to you again in the future. So thank you very much. Sounds, sounds good to me. You take care. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. You too, Jim. What a great guy, man. All right. Yeah. What, what a Now, this guy has had the most interesting life. I thought I'd had kind of an interesting life, but you know, oh, like, no. playing piano in a bunch of nightclubs and ca casinos. This guy hanging out with Ben Rich and John Lear and met Lazar before he even believed in UFOs. And I mean, absolutely. God, you know, this is just crazy. Guy, you're going to have to write down all of your questions. So when we're able to get him back on, so you don't. Oh, man, him. I'm so bummed out because and he had so many great stories. And I'm, I was still interrupting. We all know how I am. Yeah. But go ahead, Bert. I had all these damn uh, questions I wanted to ask him, and I'm like, I'm like this little kid going, "What time's Jim get back?" You know. My, <laughs> my my only thing, honestly, like um, uh, going into buttercup. uh, <laughs> going into uh, uh, research, um, looking into him earlier today and everything, like re-listening. Of course, I I've listened to every episode of Michigan UFO Paranormal Encounters podcast, but. Um, listening to that one earlier today and listening to another podcast that he was on, I believe it was called into the deep. I think, I think okay. it was called into the deep. So shout out to shout out to them. Uh, That's the one I got pretty, right. Pretty, pretty good podcast. Um, uh, he on uh, tonight and on those two episodes, um, he, he, the, the, the only like that, there he goes. I I loved talking to him and and everything was fantastic, but he's a cool guy, man. I mean, he's a but, cool. But when but but when I listened to the the like when I when I listened to those two and then it did this one live back to back to back, um, it it was it was a lot of the same things I had already heard. Um, it, 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 there was a lot of like of of the same exact. Like a lot of what he said tonight was, was what I've already heard. So I, I and he he's a great talker. 
He's a great talk. Like yeah. he, he should have his own podcast because he's yeah, a great man, dude. He, he's a he, great he, fucking talk. He'd be like, so he'd be like Joe he, Rogan for the yeah people. I, what I, I didn't I, mention is that he does a show every Thursday with Jared Murphy called uh, Not Aliens on YouTube. Oh, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Right. So they get on there and talk and Jim is actually getting involved with a lot of the archaeology and ancient text stuff which we didn't even touch yet. Not even. Um, yeah. One of the expeditions that Jared is doing down in Belize. So and like I said yes. that was a, a expedition I was going to try to go on but it's happening at the same wow. time that Michelle and I already planned our trip to go on spring break. So, yeah. There's so, I, many, there's so many places that we could go with. Oh, my he's, God. He's got such a broad. Oh, my Odin. He's got this <laughs> tremendously broad, this breadth of experience in kind of the paranormal, yep. aviation. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even, I didn't even get to ask him about ghosts or anything. Right. No, that'll be next time. Yeah. And, and, you know what? I'm going to see if we can get him back on for next Saturday, since next Saturday is supposed to be our normal uh, live, live show. Stream. Yeah. Right. Our live stream. I was thinking he's so damn good. We might actually make some money at this crap. It, it's, it's, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, not even. <laughs> not, not, I mean, not. I doubt that. that. It's just like yeah, that's I, not gonna happen. Like it, 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 it kind of already happened on 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 your guys's like normal episode. I think it was thirty three or something like that. Yeah. Um. Uh. That that he was on with Jared. I think he was on that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because Michelle yeah. Michelle was out of town. Yeah. And, and 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 so like and then this one kind of like laid down the groundwork for like everything I've heard him say before. And so now it's like the next time he comes on, we'll really be able to get into it because now yeah. he doesn't I have to grill, like recycle. I want to grill him, you know, bring the light down over his head and all right now. Yeah, a little not not necessarily grill him, not necessarily <laughs> but like but like you know like like get into it a little bit, like get into more than what I've heard him say on on the other because you know like we all go on these different shows and 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 not all the audiences have the same experience so yep. sometimes you have to give that 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 your experience to the audience at first but then the next time you come on you get to really kind of get into the nitty-gritty so yeah. so that's yeah. that like i and i definitely have some things written down that i was i was uh uh, I, I look forward to asking him in the future. Yeah, let's yeah. let's table that stuff for next time, and hopefully it'll be next Saturday. I'll get in touch with him and see if he's busy, and uh, be a lot of fun. we'll go from there. But let's go ahead and wrap this up. So if people are interested in what Burton's doing online and with his podcast, he's got Lost in the Dark podcast. You can find that in the links in uh, right below here in the show description. He's also got his Follow the Reaper, which is his other podcast where he's doing the uh, first or second hand ghost stories and UFO stories and things like that. But he would like them recorded by you and send in with your own voice, your own inflection, yeah. which is awesome. It's a great idea. And you tell him the story and he'll put it out there on his podcast. Am I correct, Burton? A hundred percent. And the, awesome. the, the episode, I'm only 10 episodes deep and episode 11 will be coming out next uh, Thursday. Awesome. And then guys on Facebook or on YouTube if, as if well. You, 
if you want to know what I'm doing, you can come over to my house and give me my address. You can throw the ball for this puppy because I'm sick of it. Don't <laughs> chase that son of a bitch. For I'll come hour. hang out with you, pup. I think he thinks the old man just ha- he wants to do this. So I'll humor him, and he's got this ball he chases. And, I, and he, we never taught him to fetch. He brings it back. I throw it. This goes on for like 45 minutes. I'm exhausted. See, see, this is this is why we have the old curmudgeon come on. See, he's yelling at the dog to stop messing with him when it's you know he doesn't know whose dog it is. So it's like you know, oh wait a minute, that's my dog. Oh, all right, I'm still yelling at you. We got a, we got a crazy cat. We got a couple of crazy dogs. Like no, we got three. Right we got three crazy crazy cats. Yeah. Well, and. Yep. And Ash tonight wasn't up for yelling and doing his howl because usually I'll th- throw the alien duck at him <laughs> really? <laughs> to get him to stop. Yeah. Oh, my God. Linda went online. She found for chihuahuas this whole t- a ton of these UFO outfits for Halloween. They're, they're, they're oh, God. <laughs> and she's like, she wants to buy Charlie this UFO outfit. You know, I'm like. People already think I'm nuts enough, you know. I got a chihuahua wearing a spaceman costume. No, no, she's just into it. She's like, support your thing. You're hysterical. She found him on some. No, when, 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 Michelle, you guys got to get a Michigan UFO dog costume and have Charlie wear it. Oh man, they're they're funny. They're funny. They. Oh my god, antennas and shit. It's it's crazy, man. Oh yeah. I'm already eyeing my costume for this October to wear to work. The one where I'm like the little person in oh, front yes. of the alien and the aliens inflated behind me. Like I still me. don't know how you guys teach. And like you're, you're in middle school. He's in high school. Cause yeah. I know I love Michelle's description, the raised eyebrow, you know, when you tell somebody, I remember you, you've used that a lot. And I get that a lot. When I think I just, when I think I can tell somebody, you know, I've, I've seen a UFO close up, and I think my coworkers got abducted. It's like, really? You know? <laughs> you know, I can't raise my eyebrow, but it's kind of like this. But I can um, being in school and you know having your kind of jobs and doing that. Right. Oh, I've got a, a coworker of mine, my friend Kelly. I told her that we were going to uh, be coming up uh, your way in March to do some uh, sky watching. And so she got so excited. We may end up with a fifth person. Oh man! I hope <laughs> oh my God! We, so they're ex- we should do that because we, yeah, you we'll guys know up. now how many people. I've driven out there a couple times at night because it, it drives me batty. I'm like, I know it's out there a lot. You know, I mean, and and, and, and anybody, where is it? Where, where is it again? Let's give a specific location. Yeah, it's, well, I don't know the longitude and latitude. Well, but, no, but yeah, like, right, generally. Right in, U.S. 23, which, you know, you can look up on Google Maps or whatever, and it's right between Baldwin and Thompson Roads mm-hmm. on the west side of the road. There's a big grove of trees. In, like, Flint, Michigan, right? Yeah, south of, and yeah, Flint, Michigan. Just about so, yeah. three, four miles south of the city, about two miles south, two and a half miles south of Flint's airport, where, where, the, guy, where the guy told yep. me, yeah, we were in the tower, but we didn't see anything. I'm like, dude, the lights were blinding me from the overpass that's right next to you. So you look know? that look that up. If any if any listeners right now have that are listening have a spot that we could like hang out at uh in March 
during uh, to to look up at the sky. Uh, let us know. Let yeah, us know. Be fun. Be interesting. Yep. All right, everybody. Once again, thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's been an awesome show. We had a nice audience tonight. Hopefully, more will listen here in the future once I get this out on Spotify. And thanks and to was it Dragon that kept donating money and yeah, we had Ghost Dragon. Ghost we Dragon. had uh, Barry was our negotiator. Yep, we had Anthony Stevens donate through PayPal. Burton donated through PayPal. Thanks. Really a lot. nice. Dor- <laughs> Dorothy is the mom of chat. And Dorothy, my yeah. adopted mom, was the first donator that we had. So Thank you, Dorothy. Because yeah. the streaming yeah. does cost some money. Michelle and Wayne in particular put an awful lot of time into this. Yeah, I just wake up from a nap and babble. But, uh, <laughs> I, I don't even dress for this thing. You know, I don't have a backdrop. But uh, they were. Your backdrop is pretty good because you look like you live in a, like a naughty pine house that looks. I fantastic. built all that. This used to be the ceiling was falling in, the floor was collapsing, and that was all dark paneling. And I gutted it. I built all of that. Looks gorgeous. I was gonna say I love the ceiling in that room. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, that's that was Linda's that. idea. She said when I was when I was remodeling, she said, "I want wood in the ceiling." And I went, "Who puts wood in the ceiling?" Shows shows what I know. Yeah. That's oh, because yeah. she watches HGTV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he belongs to the dog. <laughs> he belongs to the dog. I yeah. do. All right. And um, just so everybody knows, I know, you know, Richie is a good friend of ours and from Goofon. And he's pretty much solidly made his show be from seven to nine. So we're going to discuss like, whether we should do our show maybe a couple hours before, you know, I'm thinking about this or maybe after from like nine to 11. So we can get everybody in and have a good time all evening on Saturday. We'll, 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 the four of us will get together here and we'll figure this out and uh, down with any of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just, you know, even I like Richie's show, you know, I'm like, Oh, I got yeah. Yeah, he's he's very passionate and he hates fakers and you know I I agree but that we can go down that road we'll get him back on um here as well and we can have that discussion because uh man he's he's not what everybody thinks he is he's a damn comedian and he's from the old school comedian days right Richard Pryor Andrew Dice Clay you know your mother is this well, and a, that kind of a thing yeah. well that, so, yeah that's a that. Early yeah. Saturday Night Live, yeah. That, yeah. That's, sometimes yeah. he gets so, a little bit carried away, but he is, like I said, in the in his on his show in the chat, he's he's very passionate, and he doesn't suffer fools lightly. If if he knows you're yep. bullshit, you're you're in trouble. I mean, he's it's 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 you know he comes at you with guns blazing, and I don't really blame. Well, you better him. you better be ready for it. You know, if you get caught faking something or whatever, he's. He's going to let you know it, you know? So uh, Dorothy says, have a wonderful night, everyone. I hope you you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you, Dorothy. Lots of love. Hearts, 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 hearts. Our adopted mom of the podcast. Hands up. All right. Yep. And then we got to do our little metal horns. So, all right, Burton, I'm going to send you to the back. Guy, I'm going to send you to the back. What? (laughs) Get off my lawn, guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right Burton, we'll talk to you soon yes definitely everybody be sure to follow follow the reaper and check out lost in the dark podcast absolutely links are in the show description right now as a matter of fact 
All right, Michelle. Whoo, what a show. It was nice to meet to meet Jim on this one when I yeah, since I couldn't here. make the other one. So everybody that that watched and donated, thank you very much. Yes, thank Find you. Find links to help support the podcast, and uh, you know we'll use that to help with our trips that are you know to conferences and things like that. Get some new stuff. Thank you, Ghost Dragon. Awesome show. Thank you very much. All right, Diane, have a good night. Ghost Dragon, have a good night. Dorothy, obviously, have a good night. And with that being said, everybody, we're checking out, and we will see you next time. And remember, keep your eyes to the what is sky. It? Is it the sky? It is the sky. Wow. Okay. I guess it's the...